Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another installment of the Battle Round here from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. I am your host, Paul Valley. With me, as always, is my extraordinarily talented co-host, Zach Goodman. Zach, how are you this morning? Pretty good. Did you uh, catch any college baseball last night? Opening day for, for college baseball? No, man. I completely forgot. I saw... Some good um, games. Really, some solid prospects in these games. I yeah. saw Florida played Miami. Right, yep. And I, the only reason I know that is because I saw a clip of a pitcher just going bananas after getting out of a jam for Florida Yeah. Uh, there. So, uh, yep. what was his name? Something Mace? Oh yeah, Tommy Mace. Tommy Mace. Yep. Okay, very cool. So yeah, no, I, I um I love college baseball. I was at work last night and I I forgot. I one hundred percent. If I'm being perfectly candid with you, I, I forgot that they were that they were starting this past weekend or this weekend. Excuse me. So um didn't get a chance to see that. I, I'm always bummed that they don't have uh, televised Maryland Terrapins baseball. Yeah, that'd be cool. Because be cool. I, they they always seem to have a decent team. They're not like a college World Series team, but they always seem to have a team that has some talent. And, yeah, and, and there are a couple of Maryland guys that are some top draft prospects this year as well. So yeah, you know, and, some guys that are a little bit better. You know, they usually don't produce a lot of draft prospects, but there are some this year. And then Brandon Lau, right? Yeah, he, Brandon Lau. Yep. Brandon Lau uh, is a Terp, and he. Uh, he was a big-time hero for the Tampa Bay yep. last year. He's a really, really solid player uh, for Tampa Bay, second baseman uh, for them. So uh, it's fun to watch Terps baseball. We don't get a chance to do it because there's not, uh, there's no television network for them. Uh, we also don't really get an opportunity to watch Orioles baseball this spring because it seems like Masson's not going to air any of the games. The Orioles have started spring training. Um, it's weird, man. It's, it's, it's a weird, weird start to the year because – all off season, you are just biding your time, biding your time, biding your time, waiting to get to spring training, and then it gets here, and then you you're inundated with all of this Orioles content, and there's pictures, there's videos, you know, there's there's interactions with the fans and with with the players, and it's it's awesome. This year, not so much. Yeah, there's not much going on. I mean, the Orioles are producing some nice B-roll footage, and Masson's done some things, but it's certainly not like having Rock Kubako or Rich Dubaroff or any of those guys on the front lines to take pictures and, and videos of guys. So it's definitely not as much content as usual, especially right now. It, it's it's not as good as usual, but it's just the way the times are, I guess. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, that's just the way it is. Yeah. That's that's living in a pandemic, right? Um, pitchers and catchers, they've reported on Tuesday, first workout on Wednesday. We're going to have position players report tomorrow um, and have the first full squad workout on Monday. A couple of position players already there, Trey Mancini, DJ Stewart, Stevie Wilkerson, and uh, Rio Ruiz. Uh, we're going to talk to John Mioli uh, at around 10.50 and see if any other position players have arrived. He's going to talk to us about the, the battle for the rotation spots. Really only one guy locked into that rotation right now, and that's John Means. Uh, you're looking probably going to have Dean Kramer and Keegan Aiken in that rotation. I'd imagine Felix Hernandez has the inside track to the four spot. Yep. And look, I, I don't think that they bring in a pitcher like Matt Harvey, who agreed to a deal with the Orioles during our last segment last week. So we didn't get to talk too much about him. I don't think he's coming in here if the Orioles aren't intending him to start. And there's swingman talk and bullpen depth talk and all that. I think that Matt Harvey 
they want him to be a starting pitcher for this team. Yeah, I agree with you. I actually think that uh, that Kramer and Aiken are more of locks than you think they are. I, I think they're pretty much locked in. To oh, that. I think they're. I think they're a lock. It's just yeah. nothing set in stone right now. Right. I mean, there always could be injuries. There always could be anything that could throw their season off a little bit. But I think Means, Kramer, Aiken, it's all pretty safe right now. And Felix Hernandez, like you said, you're not going to bring in a guy like that and, and give him this guarantee, a, a veteran who really wants to play. If you're not going to bring him in if he's not going to. And I know he's going to get a little bit more money if he's in the major leagues. I believe it's a million dollars for Felix Hernandez. But this is a guy who wants to play. He didn't get to play all last year. So he's not signing with the Orioles if he's not going to. And I, I do think the same thing with Harvey. He's a vet. He wants to be out there. Probably will be in that, in that rotation. I think those guys do have the inside track right now for four and five. Well, and Matt Harvey lost a ton of velocity he off his fastball. But I can't remember who it was. He, he he went to a facility um, and worked with some trainers. Could have been driveline, maybe? I think it was driveline this, this offseason. And they said his fastball was touching 95. Wow. Which okay. is, for Matt Harvey, that's that's a big deal because that's where you want him to sit. And he has that rising fastball that when he has a lower velocity, it's not rising the way it used to. But if he's at 95, look, I'm inclined to believe that Matt Harvey is never going to be the Dark Knight again. I don't think that he's... I don't yeah, think he's, he's not that guy. Anymore. I don't think he's an effective major league pitcher, and I think that. And I, I was on Birdland tonight on Wednesday night with uh, with Josh Soroka and Bob Bob Phelan and um, Andrew Stecka, and I mentioned that these guys are here. Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey are here because of name recognition. You know what I mean? Uh, Felix Hernandez didn't pitch last year. He pitched in the spring, but he didn't pitch during the regular season. You saw three relief appearances with the Royals that were terrible uh, for Matt Harvey. So if this is a no-name pitcher and you're looking at their body of work over the last three to five years, these guys aren't getting an invite anywhere. Yeah, you're going to go, yikes, that's not a guy I want in my starting rotation. But they're Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey, so it makes a little bit of a difference. Yeah, and, and I don't think that we should be mistaken for one second to think that this name recognition isn't a part of the Orioles' plan here. Now, look, you need you need something, right? Because all, and we're going to talk about this later, all outlets are picking the Orioles to finish dead last. Uh, fan graphs, 0.0% chance to make the playoffs. The, uh, no other team has a 0.0% chance. So, and, and again, we're going to talk about that later in Orioles' banter. We're calling that segment low-hanging fruit. But um, these guys are brought in here because of the name recognition, to see if they have, to squeeze whatever little bit of juice they have left out of them and see if you can't get a four to four and a half ERA. And we discussed this on Birdland tonight the other day. Uh, If you're getting a four and a half ERA and 15 to 20 starts out of Matt Harvey and Felix Hernandez. Major win. Major win. A, that's a win. B, somebody's going to trade for that. You may not get, you're not getting the same haul that you're getting if they're ERAs are three to three and a half as opposed to four to four and a half. But somebody's going to pick them up and, and say, hey, if this guy can give me six innings of three run ball every fifth day to be my number five man in my rotation, help me make that push to the playoffs, a team's going to come calling for that, even if the ERA is four and a half. Yeah, no, that, that that's 100% right. And, and you look at guys like Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey, and okay, they've maybe lost their stuff from what they were in 2013, 2014. But these are still guys who know how to pitch, generally more than a swingman who's been around for a little bit and has you know, not really much name recognition at all. These guys know how to pitch around. They've been in a lot of places. These guys are veterans, and they just know how to use their stuff. 
maybe not very effectively, but they know how to pitch better than some other guys with less experience. So I think that's really attractive to teams too. And I definitely think Felix Hernandez has some stuff left in the tank. I do think there's still a little bit there. He said he's been pitching through injuries for the last couple of years. He said that in his press conference on Thursday, I believe. So, you know, he's maybe a guy who could pitch to that four, four and a half ERA. I wouldn't be shocked. I would be surprised, but I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I have more hope for Felix Hernandez than I do for Matt Harvey or Wade LeBlanc. Wade uh, LeBlanc, I, I I don't have much hope at all. I'll be honest with you, I, I really don't. And, uh, you know, from what I saw in the 2020 season, he looked like a guy who is 35, 36 years old. Well, here's the thing with Wade LeBlanc. He was pitching with that stress, fra- stress fracture in, in his throwing elbow the entire year. The, the, the entire year. Six starts in a truncated 60-game season. But he was pitching with the... The entire time he was pitching with that stress fracture, and finally he, he said that it started to really feel bad warming up before that game, and he was like, you know what, it's too late to get Eshelman uh, geared up and ready to go, so let's get him warming up and let me see if I can give them one inning so that he can get ready. And he did his best. He went out there, he threw 14 pitches, and they're like, he's like, I got, I got to come out. I got to come out. He's healthy now. The only thing going for Wade LeBlanc is that he wasn't exactly healthy last year, and he's determined to make good on that contract that he signed with the Orioles. So he didn't live up to. If he makes the Major League roster, it's $700,000. It's not a big payday for him. Right. This is the ultimate make-good contract because he feels bad about what happened last year. I'm looking at Wade LeBlanc, and I'm like, depth. He's depth. Yeah, he's de- just like Ashelman, just like yeah. a guy like that. They're just depth. And I'd like to see Ashelman get more of a chance, too. He's a guy who's a little bit younger. I believe he's only 27, so he does have a little bit of more potential at this point in his career than LeBlanc does. So I would like to see him out there. He did throw that great game you were just mentioning against the Phillies where he came out and basically threw five innings, six innings, and really was pretty dominant because guys just don't know how to hit 86-mile-an-hour fastballs. When you slow them down that much, and you throw that good curveball that Eshelman has, it's pretty hard to hit. It really is. Well, there's a reason that Thomas Eshelman was a second-round pick. There's another yep. voice crack for you. <laughs> we were doing our uh, our mic check, and my voice kept cracking. It must be because it's early morning. I don't know. But anyway, um, Thomas Eshelman, he, he was a second-round pick. I heard about times where he outdueled Walker Bueller in college. Um, had a 399 ERA last year. He led the team with three wins. He and Travis Lakins. Um so, is he a world beater? No. Right. Uh, but Thomas Eshelman is somebody who gives you depth. He's a nice swing man. He can make a spot start here or there. I think he'll be on the shuttle all year between Norfolk and Baltimore. Um, now, look, there's, there's talks that the Orioles could go with a six-man rotation. At some point, maybe not the whole season, but at some point, which opens up a spot for a guy like Wade LeBlanc or a guy like Thomas Eshelman. With that being the case, do you think that you could see a rotation that has on the back end Felix Hernandez, Matt Harvey, and Wade LeBlanc. Yeah, I I think there could be. I think six men actually makes a lot of sense. We've been talking about that for the past couple shows, that guys are just not going to be able to throw as many innings this year because it's not a normal year. You're coming off of a 60-game season in which guys didn't throw a lot of innings. So to go out there and have a guy make 30 starts, it's going to be a little bit tougher, especially for the guys who aren't really used to making 30 starts normally. It's just not easy. You're not going to give a guy like Dean Kramer 30 starts. It's really tough. It's really going to be tough to, to keep these guys from injury and obviously the Orioles don't want that to happen to any of their prospects so a six-man rotation becomes that much more attractive for the Orioles and I could definitely see Felix Hernandez Wade LeBlanc maybe Bruce Zimmerman has a chance to get in there and I I think Zach Lowther Michael Ballman they're both knocking on the door and probably will take one of those positions pretty quick I don't know how quickly 
they'll they'll take it. But at some point this year, three months maybe. Three, yeah, I, yeah, but by 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 midseason, you're going to yeah. see some guys elevated to the major league roster who are on the cusp. Um, the thing is, you need at least at le- in, in a regular season, you need at least eight or nine starting pitchers in a yep. season like this, coming off a sixty game season where you're leader for innings was about 53 right. uh, with Alex Cobb, and he's not here anymore, you're gonna, probably going to need 10 to 12. Right, and in a normal year, you need almost that many because it's just so hard to keep pitch, a pitching staff really healthy over an 162-game season. That will be, I, I think, even exemplified this year that the Orioles will just keep needing more guys and really every team. And I think that's some reason why some of the teams like the Yankees they need to worry about their pitching depth a little more than they have. I mean, you can have a Garrett Cole. You can have a guy right up at the top who's going to give you 30 starts and probably 30 great starts, but then you need depth. You need insane amounts of depth. And I think the Orioles have that a little more than other teams even. I think because of the depth in the minor leagues especially. Guys like Kevin Smith, Lowther, you know, guys like that. Yeah, and let's not forget the Roll 5 picks. Right, uh, Max yeah. Garoller and Tyler Wells, big guys who throw downhill. Um, they have a shot. They have a shot. Now, last year they ha- they took, um, who was it? Brandon Bailey and Michael Rucker. Brandon Bailey and Ma- I always forget the names. They're like the two Roll 5 picks. I-, I knew the name Bailey. I couldn't remember his first name. But they sent both of those guys back before the shutdown uh, in-, in-, in spring training last year. So uh, you don't know for sure Scaroller and Wells are even going to make it through spring training without being sent back. On the other hand, on the other side of things, you're hoping that Zach Pop gets sent back. Uh, but that's right. a, that's a story for a for different sure. for for a different day. Uh, and here's the other thing: starting pitching, it's such a commodity, yet you don't really see too many pitchers consistently make 30 starts. You're not going right. to have five guys in your rotation that make 30 starts. I I, I look back. 2014, 2015, something like that. The Cardinals had all five of their starting rotation make 30-plus starts, but they were like the only team in baseball. It's so rare these it's, days. It's very rare. And, and 200 innings, it's crazy, man, because if you look at the pitching from the 60, the 50s, 60s, 70s, even the 80s, guys were routinely right. having double-digit complete games and routinely hitting 300 innings pitched. Now, 200 innings is that, is that mark, right? And if you hit 240 like, like Max Scherzer does, you're like – Number one in the game. 240 used to be middle of the very, road. Very, very rare. And by the way, I should mention on Brandon Bailey, he's set to get Tommy John surgery next week. Uh, he is with the Reds now. Went you know from the Astros, Orioles, back to the Astros, and now with the Reds. Just wanted to mention he is getting Tommy John surgery. So, you know, these, these Rule 5 guys, you really don't know what to expect from them. At yeah, all. You, and, but that's the same with anybody. I mean, sure. or, yeah. Orioles, uh, fifth-round pick, Carter Balmer. He had Tommy John Absolutely, surgery yep. this past fall after uh, having the elbow injury at Instructional. So, I mean, it, it's not just... You know, single-handedly with Rule Five picks, it, it's, it's, all, it's all pitchers. It's, for it's, sure. it's all pitchers, and they get there's so much overuse in college and yeah. high school, especially not more so high school. They have these coaches. All they care about is winning their games. They don't care about the a lot of them don't care about the long-term health of their pitchers. You look at Dylan Bundy, who was throwing every inning of double headers. He was starting two games in a row, three games in a row. The the guy who went out there every and. And then they have to have Tommy John surgery. Gee, I wonder why, because you're having a pitcher throw 200 innings for no reason in high school. It's it's absurd. Now, before we get to your sounding off segment, are you surprised at the lack of position players to arrive early? Right now, as far as we know, you just have the four. Again, in DJ Stewart, Trey Mancini, Rio Ruiz, and Stevie Wilkerson, usually you see 10, 15 guys yeah. show up early. Four guys have showed up early in the first week? 
Yeah, I, I don't know how much it means, but I always kind of look at it in the way of it, it shows how committed you are to having a great season. Obviously, some guys, their travel plans don't allow them to be down there early, but I always look at a guy who comes in early like Trey, like DJ. I look at that and I go, wow, that guy's really committed to having a great season. That guy wants to get here as soon as possible. They want to get going. They want to you know, have the best season possible. And I, I think that's something that, you know, is, is a, it's really a pat on the back to those guys. And you know, it, 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 a lot of people always complain every year because Chris Davis never arrives early and everyone's like, oh, he needs to practice. He needs to get back to what he was. He's never going to get back there. But he didn't arrive once again. He's the highest paid player on the team by far. Didn't arrive early, at least as far as we know. Um, but yeah, so I, I always like to see guys arrive early. I think it really shows a lot really a lot of hard work and and really uh dedication dedication De- dedication to the team yeah. De- dedication to your craft yeah and one of the names that i'm like look trey mancini's been down there for two weeks already. yeah it's, and, it's and, impressive that and, really is rio ruiz that's a guy that he's got a stranglehold on third base because yeah. simply because of a lack of options right that rylan bannon's not going to come in and take over the starting third base job uh jamai jones unless he has a monster spring isn't taking second base away from Yolmer Sanchez, which and then would probably make Sanchez take over third. That's probably right. not happening either. The guy that I'm most excited to see there early, and we talked about this a little bit before the show started today, is DJ Stewart. Uh, and we're going to talk about this in Orioles banter. Uh, a big season, and I don't even need a big season from DJ Stewart. Just a season that you'd expect from a guy who was drafted 25th overall in the first round. I want a, a, a 270. Season out of him, and we'll get into that more in Orioles banter. But a big season from D- from DJ Stewart is something that could really help this Orioles lineup and this team as a whole. Um, I'm going to get uh, Stan on the line. You have something that you want to sound off on on the positive side for a change today. Yeah, so I usually have the option between positive and negative, but I chose positive today because we have been complaining on this show for a couple weeks that the Orioles are not going to be airing spring training games, and that's something they've done for a while now. I can't really remember the last season where the Orioles didn't air at least five or six spring training home games. It's always good to see. You really can find out a lot about some of these prospects and find out what they're made of, if you know what kind of major league chance they have of, of coming up. And, of course, the Orioles being such a young team, you want to be able to see these guys. You're not going to be able to see them live as much this year in the minor leagues, so it'd be really be nice to watch a lot of these these prospects in spring training. Unfortunately, we can't this year, as far as we know. But the Pirates, the Pittsburgh Pirates, have committed to airing it's it's pretty much most, if not all, of their spring training games on AT and T Sportsnet, that is their broadcast partner. That's fantastic. The Pirates are another young team. They are very, very low in revenue. They, they don't do nearly as well as a lot of the, the big market teams. They're very similar to the Orioles in that way. They're rebuilding. They've got a lot of young guys coming through their system, yet they've put the money aside, they've put the cash aside, and they've dedicated you know, time to, to airing these spring training games and making their fans happy. If I'm a Pirates fan, I'm very pleased by seeing these prospects, by seeing these guys, and seeing what this team's made of, because you really don't get a good look at these prospects. A lot of people don't out of spring training. So, you know, the Orioles aren't doing it. There are a lot of teams. I've heard the Yankees, the Red Sox, they're going to cut back on spring training. But then you see a team that's so low in revenue, like the Pirates, and they're doing most, if not all. And I, I just think that's great. I, I really I really do. Well, yeah, it, it's certainly a, a, a good thing to see. And what's, what's cool about that is that the Orioles are going to play the Pirates four times, yeah. four, four times in the spring. And if those games are being televised, 
That means MLB Network. If you have MLB Network, they could televise those yeah. games at one point or another. It might be at 3 a.m., set your DVR for yeah. that. But it gives you an opportunity to watch some Orioles games. Now, before we, um, before we get to Stan, I do want to point out that we do have Stan coming up here in just a matter of moments. Then we have John Mioli today at, uh, from the Baltimore Sun at 10.50. We're going to do our Orioles banter segment, the low-hanging fruit segment at 11.20. And then Kevin Brown from the Orioles Radio Network and Masson at 11.35. So really great show for you all coming up. Now on the line, we have Stan the Fan. Charles, Stan, how are you today? I'm doing great, guys. How you doing? We're doing great. Thank you for joining us here in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Uh, Stan, what do you uh, make of the Pirates, one of the worst teams and lowest revenue teams in baseball, uh, being willing to air all of their spring tra- it, most, if not all, of their spring training games this year when most other teams are cutting back? Um, don't don't really have an, have any kind of great thought about it. it. It is certainly interesting because I, w- I would not think that that would be a uh, huge draw for sports fans to watch. Right. It's going to be your I mean, it's, it's, a great, be- it's a great thing. I mean, if I had my option as a fan of whether I wanted all the Orioles broadcast telecast or none or four or something like that, I, of course I'd want more being a member of the media and a, and a fanatical fan. But I don't know right now that the fan base in Pittsburgh is all that excited to watch those games. Well, how do you even? But get I don't know. I do, I really don't understand sort of why they're doing that. Um, you know, uh, may- maybe it is some type of commitment now that they've got a really solid baseball person in Ben Charrington running the show that they're making this larger commitment to to getting the fans to kind of grow up with this team. Yeah, I think it's a sign of good faith to the to yeah. the fan base to say, hey, you know what? We know we're not very good. We know we haven't been good for a really long time, uh, with the exception of a few years here, a few years back. Um, but we want to make good with you all and you know give you a product that you can watch. Now, here's the thing, Stan, and we're going to jump right into this. The Orioles, they've become the punchline yet again. I don't know if they've ever not been the punchline. From 2012 to 2016, it was smoke and mirrors and luck that the Orioles were playing as well as they did. Now it's the Orioles are tanking and it's bad for baseball. Yet you have teams like the Pirates who have four winning seasons since 1992 or the Royals who have four winning seasons since 93 or the Tigers, uh, eight winning seasons since 1995. Nobody talks about them the way they talk about the Orioles. Uh, is To me, this is... I, I, I... The premise of your question, I don't agree with. I, I don't recall who were these people that said there was smoke and mirrors from 12 to 16. The Orioles won more games than any team in the American League. Well, they, four years. They, no, they're, they're, nobody, I don't recall anybody. Name me some names of people that said it was smoke and mirrors. Well, Stan, that was five years ago, so I can't name the exact names of people that said that it was smoke they, and mirrors. They were largely projected to finish last in the AL East almost most of those years. Most so. of those years, yeah. they, they were projected to win at most 82 games, and then they go out there and win the most games in the American League East. There, was, right. there were definitely outlets that picked the Orioles to finish last in some of those seasons, definitely outlets that didn't have them near the top of the division where they would be finishing most of those seasons. So it's... You know, I, exact names? No, I can't give you that. But it's, okay, it's well, I, I, I still the the fact that those projections were wrong aren't aren't real proof that everybody was saying it's smoke and mirrors. Well, they were con- know, I think they were the considered Orioles a beer league were, softball. I think team. the Orioles were respected for what they were in those four years. They were kind of an outlier that really didn't have a strong enough offense, uh, nor the 
the top caliber starting pitching to really go much further than they did, you know. Yeah, no. I mean, I'll agree. I'll agree that they exceeded expectations, but I I don't recall people referencing it as smoke and mirrors. Yeah, well, well, we're gonna okay. have we're gonna have to agree to disagree on this one because I, okay. I I do remember hearing this quite often because the Orioles were basically a beer league softball team in, in many people's eyes during that five year run, but they were a very good team that made the playoffs three times. Now, however, you look at teams like the Cubs, teams like the Astros, they tanked. And I hate using that term because the players on the field are trying to win. But the front office, they're not putting the best product on the field because what they want to do is they want to lose the most games as possible, get the best draft picks, and then build their team that way. The Astros and the Cubs were lauded for doing this. Now the Orioles are doing it, and everybody seems to be coming out of the woodwork saying that this is bad for baseball. And uh, then you have articles about from The Onion, uh, which we know is a satirical website, but mm-hmm. uh, the Orioles... Uh, are mad at their players for showing up in too good a shape. Buster only saying, I don't know when we got to a point in this game where you can be bad or irrelevant for five, six, seven years, and it's okay. Why is it that when the Orioles are doing it, it's not okay, but when other teams seem to do it, or other teams like the Pirates, Tigers, Mariners, Marlins, Royals, they don't they, they get a pass, but the Orioles don't. I, I just, I, I, your your question is stumping me as to what it, what it's really about. I don't I don't get this sense that the Orioles are being bashed where Detroit but both Detroit and Kansas City, one of the reasons they're not being bashed this year is they are putting resources toward toward being better this season. Where where the Orioles aren't. I yeah, no, you're you're right about I that. Mean, the, the, the the Tigers and the Royals feel that they are I think the Royals feel that that last year was a really damaging part of of a rebuild, and they decided to try and hop, skip, and jump past it. So they signed Carlos Santana, they signed Mike Miner, and uh, they made the trade for Andrew Benintendi. So clearly, they're on a different path than the Orioles are. So they wouldn't get the kind of ridicule the Orioles are getting. Yeah, but I think the Pirates are equally as ridiculed despite the fact that all their games are going to be on TV in spring training, I think they're as much ridiculed, if not more. I think they're by far the worst team in baseball. Oh, but 100%. The, the, the uh, Pirates. I Say, think they'll be lucky to win 45 or 50 games. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you, Stan. But you see the Royals making these moves, like Ben Benintendi. They have that depth in their farm system. They're starting to trade it away and get these better players. Ben Benintendi, really a former star, came in second in Rookie of the Year voting a few years ago. Would you like to see the Orioles start to do the same thing, You know, since they do have so much depth in that organization? If that makes the Royals that much better and you like that the Royals are doing that, is that something you'd like for the Orioles as well? I, I, I wish the Orioles could jumpstart this a little bit more by, by, again, not leaps and bounds. It's very frustrating as a fan and somebody that covers the team and cares about the team that a guy like I was suggesting, uh, Colin McHugh, at a million point eight is out of their reach. But yeah. right now it appears that that's the way their finances are set up. You know, I don't buy that this is just the team going down to the bare bones to get higher draft picks. I think the Orioles are very much compromised right now by an inability to spend money. Whereas the Tigers, first of all, the Royals, remember, they've got new ownership. And new ownership sometimes is going to be far less patient 
than than the Orioles or the Pirates are going to be. That's a good yeah. point. Yep. Now here's here's the thing, Stan. And you mentioned that the Orioles have the the, the excuse, excuse me the Royals have had a better off season, and the Tigers they've had a, they've had a very good off season for what they are. And and I would also say that one of the things that probably motivates the Royals and the Tigers to to jumpstart their program is that the division doesn't look like it's you know got giants in it. You know the Royals, it's not incredibly hard to see them jumping up to at least contend for a playoff spot in their division. See, you know, the, I think we'd all agree I think that the close. White Sox that the White Sox are probably the best. The Twins and the the Twins and the uh, Indians are probably better than the Royals, but it's not like the difference between the Orioles and the Yankees, the Orioles in Tampa, the Orioles in Toronto right now. Well, see, but I I look at a team like the Royals and I see that they're they're going out and they're getting just enough players Signing just enough players to contracts to win seventy-five to eighty games, and to me, that's not close to the playoffs. That's that's on that's well on the outside looking in. I think that the White Sox, Twins, and even Indians are far superior. Maybe not the Indians, but the the other two teams are far superior to the Royals. And I think that's a lot of people are saying. Do you want the Orioles to go out and spend fifteen million dollars on a free agent just to say they did it and maybe win seventy five games? You're you're basically making your team stagnant. You're not terrible, but you're not good. You're not making the playoffs. And to me, I just I'm I'm not a huge believer that baseball like football get gets you you know having high draft picks gets you turned around in any kind of quick sense. And I think the Royals are a little impatient. Yeah, they didn't go out and and spend dollar for dollar with the White Sox or or the Twins, but look at the Indians. They traded one of their best, very best players in Lindor, you know, and one of their top pitchers. But they have, unlike the Orioles, uh, they don't have, they have some pitching that can keep them a lot closer to contender than than the Orioles can hope for right now. No, you're you're probably right, Stan. I just feel like that there's no set plan because if you want to be a player for the playoffs and you're going to go out and you're going to sign some of those top free agents like George Springer, you're not going to trade for Andrew Benintendi who hasn't been good in three years. Right. But 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 that's that's just me. Now you bring yeah. up pitching uh, and you talk about the Orioles' lack thereof. They just signed Matt Matt Harvey. Literally signed him in our last segment of the show last week. Right. What impact does Matt Harvey have? Do you think he has anything left to offer this team? I I honestly have have no idea, but I I'm not nearly as excited about that pickup as I am Felix Hernandez, and I'm not I'm not like jumping for joy at the Felix Hernandez thing, and I'm, part of my excitement is that I picked him as somebody that I thought they should go after, and they did. So that gives me a little bit of skin in the game, so to speak, to see if I'm right or wrong. Matt Harvey not only turned into a bad pitcher by all accounts, he's not a not a great guy either. Yeah, uh, not a warm true. and fuzzy guy. One of the things I remember about him is remember this is a guy who'd been pretty horrible for a couple of years, and the Mets decided to trade him to the Reds. The next year, when the Reds came into town. I remember there was going to be a lot of interest by the local media in New York to, to talk to to talk to Matt Harvey, and he intentionally scheduled his his press briefing against manager Mickey Callaway's press briefing. And I remember the Mets 
asked him to change it, and he didn't. Um, that's that's a guy that sounds like very small and petty to me. Now, um, it's much easier for somebody who's struggling to be small and petty, um, and it's much easier when you're going great to be fairly decent. But I never remember him being, you know, uh, put out there as somebody that was a great guy. Uh, so, look, do I want him to succeed? Yeah, I think that, that if Matt Harvey has anything left, it would be converting him to a relief pitcher. I don't think he offers much of a chance to go out there every five or six or even seven days and give you even five innings. If if he if he has anything left, I think he could possibly excel at being a short inning guy. Well, the the Royals certainly tried him in that role last year, and it didn't work out. ERA yep. well over eleven, I believe. Yep. Um, the the thing about Matt Harvey that's always kind of bothered me about him. It's like you said, he, he, for all intents and purposes, he doesn't seem like he's that great of a guy. He seems to buy into his own hype. And you know, you know, you know who he seems like? He seems like an Aaron Rodgers who, who's, whose career went awry. You know, that's what yeah, he seems I, I like. I like that comparison a lot. Yeah. That's, a, yeah. that's a great comparison. Just, just yeah. one of those guys who, who, you know, Aaron Rodgers has every right to have that mentality because he's, he just won the MVP at 37 years old. Been good for right. 15 years, yeah. Ma- Matt, right. Matt right. Harvey, he had a few good years at the beginning of his career. He's been nothing pretty much since 2016. Um, By now, the way, I'm just looking it up. His ERA was, as you said, 11.57. Yeah. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that they tried him as a relief pitcher. Three he had appearances. seven appearances, four starts, and three relief appearances. That seems like a guy that they realized – had nothing, and they used more as a mop-up guy, you know. Yeah, I, I but think his numbers were his numbers were beyond putrid. Eleven and two-thirds innings, twenty-seven hits, and um, is that five walks? I guess that's the only positive in eleven innings. He walked only five people, but he struck out ten. His his WHIP was two point seven four over those eleven innings. So. He's not a guy that's um, got me very excited at all. Yeah, Stan, I'm, I'm with you on Matt Harvey for sure. But this week, Brandon Hyde had multiple press conferences, his first of the season. And one of the questions you asked that I thought was interesting is about who is going to pitch the ninth. You know, how is Brandon Hyde going to handle that? Who is yeah. the Orioles' closer right now? So who would you think is the Orioles' closer right now? Who would you like to see out there? Obviously, Tanner Scott made a name for himself last year, had an ERA. I believe it was one five four. Um, You know, you obviously have the option of Hunter Harvey if he stays healthy. Who would you like to see out there? I think if 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 – Hunter Harvey would not have sort of the resume that he has that includes so many injuries and sort of needing not to pitch back-to-back days. Uh, I think that all all things being equal, Hunter Harvey would be the guy he'd like to have out there. But I think realistically, with the lack of an ability to pitch back-to-back days, I think you're looking at some days it being Hunter Harvey, some days it being Cesar Valdez, Tanner Scott getting a little shot, and when the game plays out the right way, it could be a Dylan Tate or a Sean Armstrong. I think the Orioles may have as many as three to five guys that will get saves this year. I have always loved the idea, the idea 
of Tanner Scott being a closer because he has that high 90s fastball, that devastating slider. The problem with him is that he walks four and a half batters per nine innings. Yeah. And and you can't have a guy like that. And look, sub two ERA in over 21 innings last year. Tanner Scott was phenomenal. Finally. He was great, he was great last year. Finally That's became that. Except, except when I started to bring him up in press conferences to Brandon Hyde, as, why is he different? What's different? And then all of a sudden, I did it like two Two after two games over about a four game period, I asked him to put in words what Scott was doing and how much I said how close he is to being like one of the most dominant guys in the league. And then all of a sudden, for about three or four games, he wasn't very good. Oh, see, he bounced back toward the end and pitched well again. See, Stan, when those three or four games and he wasn't very good, I just assumed you picked him up on your fantasy squad, and that's what happened to him. No, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Now, you I, mentioned... Um, a good, that's a good guess, though. <laughs> uh, you mentioned that you asked Brandon Hyde what was different about Tanner Scott. You and Glenn just sat down. Uh, with with um, Brandon Hyde and had a nice Q&A with him that's in the new uh, print edition of Press Box that's out this month. Um, and you said on Glenn Clark Radio, you were on a show yesterday, I believe, and you said yep. that you can see Brandon Hyde as being one of those rare managers that makes it through a rebuild and is with the team for eight or nine years. What about Brandon Hyde gives you that sentiment? I, I just think that he, he um, goes out there and, you know, it's it's a hard – I don't want to be cliched and just say that he busts his butt to get his team to be a little bit better each and every day despite the fact he's swimming kind of uphill against the current, which means – by that I mean that the team is not spending a lot of money on players. And and they're also, whenever anybody can, can get them a return that they think over the long haul is better, they're going to trade – uh, Jose Iglesias. They're going to trade a Dylan Bundy. You know, they're going to uh, trade an Alex Cobb. So he's got things going against him, and he doesn't sort of get into a woe is me mentality. He just grinds. And I think uh, Mike Elias and he are very much simpatico. Uh, and I, I like the fact that his team showed improvement despite the fact I didn't think it was probably as good a team last year as it was the year before when they weren't very good, and somehow they achieved more. And I'll tell you what, I think we, we're we in agreement that the Pirates are going to struggle to win 50-55 games. Okay? Yes. I think the Orioles, I'm not saying that uh, with smoke and mirrors or anything else, that they're going to be a contender this year. But I think night in, I mean, I, I think a high for the Orioles would be about 70 wins, and it could be closer to 65. But I think night in and night out, they're going to be kind of a team that people aren't going to like. say, hey, we can go into Baltimore and roll them every night. I think they're going to, I think the fact that these starting pitchers are not going to be engaged to try and start six to seven innings, that they're going to be a lot more four-inning starts than six-plus, I think is going to play into their overall pitching potentially being better. And that's the name of the game is getting better numbers overall. And I think that they they will do that. I predicted last year, I don't remember what win total I predicted. I was down at the bottom. You know, I think I had them in my power rankings, which incidentally will start again this year at the beginning of the season. Um, But I had them down near the bottom but I would routinely say that I think the bullpen, they're going to get a lot of 
good innings out of the bullpen. And I think that's going to happen again this year, that they're going to get a lot of innings out of both the short guys and some long guys that develop over this season that they're going to, they're going to pitch. They're going to pitch a little bit better than people think collectively. And that's not me saying that Dean Kramer and Keegan Aiken are going to be great or anything this year. I just think as a staff, this team will be better than it was last year. Yeah, no, I think we can all agree with you there. I think that John means, sure. John means is I, I, Look, he, he had those four starts at the end of the year that put, that put his ERA around four and a half in what was otherwise not a great year for John right. Means. But I think he's established himself as a quality major league pitcher. Keegan yep. Aiken and Dean Kramer, they're going to take their lumps. They're rookies. You know what I mean? They, right. they, they had a nice showing uh, in, in, in getting their first cup of coffee in the major leagues. And they're going to take their lumps this year. But they're also going to show signs of being quality major league pitchers. That bullpen is pretty set, Stan. The bullpen looks like it's pretty good. It was a top 10 unit in 2020. I expect that to continue this year. Yep. And then when you look at the team's offense, the middle of that order is going to be formidable. This year, now look, they they have holes at the top of the lineup. They have holes at the bottom of the lineup. Uh, when you have Rio Ruiz penciled in as your five or six hitter, that's not ideal. But you have no. a you have a quality heart of the order. Yeah, but the San, the Santander Mancini uh, Mountcastle yeah. is a is a challenging gauntlet for pitchers it, to it get through. Is. You know? It definitely it, is. It yeah. absolutely is. And with that in mind, you and Glenn, you did ask Brandon Hyde. If he had if he had a timeline in his mind for the rebuild, and he hinted that year three in Chicago was um, when they really started to see the tides turn, this is year three in Baltimore. Many outlets picking the Orioles among the worst teams in the league. We're picking them among the worst teams in the league. Is there a chance that that isn't the case this year? Yeah, I don't. I don't think year three with the pandemic and how it affected uh, the indus- the industry as a whole and the Orioles specifically, I don't think there's any chance that year three is is quite the pivotal thing that it would have seemed like had, had 2020 been a normal season. You know, in a normal season, you would have liked to have felt that Michael Bowman and Zach Lother would have both taken steps where they would really be on the verge of pitching in the major leagues right now, or one of, one of them would grab a spot right now. And I don't think that's the case. You know, uh, it also set back Grayson Rodriguez. It set back Adley Rutschman. It set back D.L. Hall. Those are three significant players. So I think the, I think the rebuild has been set back, uh, you know, uh, 12 to 18 months. There's no question about it. Oh, it certainly has been. It's, I mean, we yeah. were looking at seeing Adley Rutschman debut in 2021, uh, right. be- before the pandemic, now he hasn't even played a f- his first full season because of the shutdown. So uh, it-, it definitely has been set back, but it is nice to see that this team they have improved each year under Brandon Hyde. Uh, they-, they seem to play hard for him. They seem to want to win for him. They go out there and they give their best uh, effort. And I'll give I'll give you another example why I think he you know it's very easy for a bad team to kind of lose its way with the COVID uh, protocols. You know, right. sort of collectively quietly just go out to to topless bars and and get covid and all that you know um and that's frankly it seems like the percentage of professional athletes that get covid there's a very high percentage of them seem, seem to have picked it up at at, at the exotic dancing bars oh, you they're know just going there for the uh, wings stan what's that they're just going there for the wings 
Yeah, exactly. That's why I always went to those places. Oh yeah, and still and still do. Uh, but all kidding aside, I think the way that the club respected and and sort of took its cue from Brandon Hyde and just went about its business. I hope I answered that question because I really do. It's some intangibles that I see, but there's some quantifiable things that I see, like you said, that they're going to get a little better. That I think are are reminders of why Mike Elias picked him. You know, I don't think Brandon Hyde was just sort of picked out of this small deck of cards, and he goes, "Well, I got to pick somebody to get us through the first portion of the rebuild." I think that there were things that Elias liked about him. Uh, they did not apparently have much of a relationship before he was picked. Uh, I mean, other than he knew about him. But uh, I think he's done nothing to indicate that, hey, in two years when they're getting better, they're going to get a better manager. I think he shows all the earmarks of being a damn good manager. Yeah, uh, Brandon High was tabbed as the next big thing. Uh, amongst managers in baseball, is the next great manager, and you know he seems to be on his way with the Orioles. Seems to have a, a really nice uh, finger on the pulse of this franchise yeah. right now, and on on this community. Uh, and and I got that vibe just from reading your your Q and A in the print edition of Press Box with, with the manager. And I, I like that you asked some questions in there. You and Glenn asked some questions in there that a lot of people may have been scared to ask about, like about his relationship with Chris Davis and how he views Chris Davis and yep. things, and things well, along Glenn those lines. Glenn asked that. And I, I asked those questions that I was really interested in about sort of watching a friend of his, Rich Renneria get fired by both Chicago yeah. clubs during a rebuild. Uh, and one, you, you, we both agree that the White Sox were past their rebuild last year. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I think it's just Jerry Reinsdorf's thinking, and I'm not a huge Rich Renneria fan, don't get me wrong, but picking a 76-year-old Tony LaRusa to come back because you admit you made a mistake 30 years ago, you know, actually 35 years ago. Yeah. It was like 1985 or 86. I think it was 86, yeah. Yeah, no, no, and that was one of the questions I was alluding to. I like that you brought that up to Brandon Hyde about how Renneria didn't see, get to see that, that club to come to fruition, um, and is Brandon Hyde worried about that? And I think that you're right, Stan. I think that we could see Brandon Hyde last through this rebuild and really uh, gear the lead the helm of the next great Orioles championship roster. Stan, we got to go. We gotta I get, know you do. We, it sounds like you got a great show with John Mioli of the Baltimore Sun and uh... – you know, the Baltimore Sun is being apparently being purchased, and it's going to turn into a nonprofit. Yeah, that's question number two that I have for John okay, Mioli today. Great. So we're going to talk about it. Stan, great, question great one Q&A. about the smoke and mirrors. And, and, uh, <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's in there, my man. That's in there. But uh, I love you guys. I'll talk to you uh, next week. Yeah, okay? we're looking forward Thank to you, Stan. Appreciate it. Okay. That was Stan the Fan Charles joining us for his weekly segment, as always, in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Just a reminder that the Bat Around is brought to you by Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation insurance specialist. Stan the Fan Charles has two great shows for you every week, and like everything else in the world, they're happening over Zoom. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Crimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan and Ross caught up with former Orioles manager Dave Tremblay, while Stan and Gary chatted with author Jack Gilden. Both of those shows can be found under the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or at pressboxonline.com. 
C3America.com. Stan's weekly shows are brought to you by C3 American Exteriors. Find them at C3America.com. Call C3 American Exteriors to get roof and siding repairs for the cost of your home insurance deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. Call C3 at 410-401-9797 or go to C3America.com for a free analysis. We're going to get a break when we come back from the Baltimore Sun. We have the one and only John Mioli. Great food and good sports are always at Glory Days Grill. Award-winning burgers, wings, ribs, and sandwiches. There's something for everyone. Dine in or order online at glorydaysgrill.com. And don't forget a growler of your favorite draft beer. Get everything you're hungry for at Glory Days Grill. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? (sighs) Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son... We're Royal Farms sub-people, like my daddy was, and his daddy before him, like you and me, and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. Royal Farms subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate y'all. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate y'all. How y'all doing? Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. How you guys doing? Heston Kerstad. Thanks for having me. Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be on. Dickie V, Dick Vitale. Glenn and Kyle, two diaper dandy. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, a lengthy Q&A with Orioles manager Brandon Hyde as he candidly discussed the impact the pandemic has had on the team's rebuilding effort, Chris Davis, Adley Rutschman, and much more. Inside, find our special college lacrosse feature, introducing you to the men's and women's players at all of the area schools. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. 
All right, welcome back to the Bat Around in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. And without further ado, we're going to uh, be joined now from the Baltimore Sun. Our guest is John Mioli. John, how are you today? I'm well. What's going on, fellas? Not too much, man. We're glad to have you join the join the program. Always a treat when we get to speak with John Mioli. Uh, you're not down in Sarasota, right? You're still home with the wife and the baby, correct? Correct. Yeah, we we I think that we will be going down when games start for for at least the beginning. Uh, but given that the workouts are closed to the public and the media and, and just the limited access that we have to players, uh, it's not really worth. You know, I could zoom from my house here and and save you know a lot of money versus zooming in a hotel down there so that's what we're doing and how is it being being a new father john you getting any kind of sleep these days you still open uh, eyes open at all hours of the night oh we're doing great over here Uh, we have a very very cooperative baby you know you prepare for the worst and hope for the best and we've gotten the best so it's been good it's been a little it was a little challenging this week as things started we start daycare this coming week but uh it's been daddy daycare since then so there's been a couple of uh Brandon Hyde zooms with the camera off because I'm because I'm trying to juggle both things at once. But you know, I don't think anybody on the outside noticed in uh, in in our coverage, and I don't think the baby noticed either. So all good things. <laughs> and I don't think anybody would mind uh, since you are a new father. Yeah, you, you got baby comes first, so I don't think anybody would mind. Now, John, the Baltimore Sun has been acquired by Stuart Bainham and the nonprofit Sunlight uh, Sunlight for All Institute. What does this mean for the paper, and what does it mean for writers like you? Um. I, I don't know a ton about, you know, the logistics of the sale or what's going to happen. I think that I think that it's also pending, you know, this other transaction with Alden Capital, which is a which is a profits first hedge fund buying the rest of the Tribune papers. And I think that I think that the outcry of, of what Alden does to papers in terms of cutting staff and and trying to reduce the product to drive up profit um is very real and i think that the idea of baltimore sun might not be subjected to that and might have you know seems like it will have at this point local ownership who isn't concerned about making a profit but who just wants to have a fully staffed and and successful newsroom you know providing coverage to a a public that wants it i think that's going to be fantastic for the baltimore sun i haven't I haven't met or I, and I know very little other than what I've read about uh, Mr. Bainham, but I'm very glad that he's putting uh, putting himself out there and, and taking on this challenge. It will be a big challenge. Uh, you know, I do. I don't know how somebody who is very civic minded and and wants, you know, a newspaper to serve the public trust. I don't know where sports falls into that. I just know that. I just know that I feel a lot more comfortable in, in this being a career and something that I could do for a long time than I than I did on Monday. Well, yeah, it certainly bodes well, especially when you consider that a lot of newspapers are falling by the wayside uh, with the Internet being as big as it is. Uh, having somebody come in and give you an opportunity to, to not only keep your job but potentially flourish in your job, which you already do on your own anyway, is certainly a big deal and a nice boost of confidence for your career. So that's that's always nice. Now, speaking of your career – you covered this team in 2020 uh, in the middle of this pandemic. Has that prepared you at all for the way that you're covering spring training, uh, having to do it from a remote location in your home over a thousand miles away over Zoom meetings? Is it, were you prepared for this, or is it still just as weird as it ever was? It, it kind of goes back and forth, to be perfectly honest. You know, there, there are the moments when when a story strikes you and and you want to write it and in a normal spring training setting and even a regular season setting, you, 
show up that day and you say, all right, I had this idea last night as I was on the exercise bike or as I was cooking dinner or, you know, when I woke up this morning, I thought this would be a fun thing to write. And you have an hour and all the players are just there in front of you and you just do it. And you can just feed your, you can feed the beast that way and you can get yourself going. You can get the momentum. And it, it was a lot harder in the off season or last off last season in 2020 to do that, to, to get those types of stories accomplished. Um, so, so it's been, it's been fun to ramp it up and then be able to do that a little bit so far and this spring. It, I feel like there's a little bit more familiarity on all sides between, you know, the team, the players, the media, and trying to figure out what, what is going to work in terms of setting up those types of stories and letting us, you know, do those types of things. You know, our goal every morning is to, you know, for people to be able to read something on our website that, that they can't read about the Orioles anywhere else. And that definitely has gotten more challenging, but I feel like, I feel like even not being there and not having, you know, the in-person access that we're used to probably for most of this season, I feel like it's still going to be a situation where, we are able to accomplish that more often than not. And I think that's honestly the standard that I hold, you know, myself to. And I think that we'll come a lot closer to meeting it than we have, than we did in 2020. Well, certainly when I used to do my writing uh, on the Orioles for Utah Street Report, nothing got quite got the juices flowing like spring training and the thoughts of a new season. I usually did most of my writing about the team during spring training. And certainly one of those things that fuels the fire for that is a rotation that's very much in flux right now. You really only have uh, John Means guaranteed to be in this starting rotation. You figure that Dean Kramer and Keegan Agan are pretty much locks uh, as long as they don't completely implode this spring. And then you have guys that were brought in, John, in uh, Felix Hernandez, Matt Harvey, Wade LeBlanc. I have to imagine the intent is for Harvey and Hernandez to round out this rotation rather than spend any time in the, in, in the uh, minor leagues. What can you tell us about their signings and how the Orioles view them moving forward? Well, I think that the Orioles and, and every team as a whole, it kind of struck them once, once the season was set to move on and start at the time that it was, it was agreed on by the CBA. Once the league's efforts to, to push things back didn't pan out, I think teams all across the league, kind of realize like all right we're doing this we have to make sure that we're ready and we have to make sure that our team is prepared and the way that a lot of these people are doing this is by just bringing in as many pitchers who might be able to start who might be able to be long men who might be able to provide those bulk innings as they possibly could um i think it's been it's been refreshing for for i guess refreshing might not be the word it's been interesting to hear you know brandon hyde and chris holt and some of the orioles pitchers kind of downplay those concerns about about how many innings pitchers are going to be able to pitch during the season. I mean, it's February. They're all trying to ramp up whether they might have to be give breaks in the season, whether they have to, you know, cut their season short. That doesn't really matter here in February. They all acknowledge that it is something that's going to be unique, but it's not something that's consuming them. But I think, you know, at the roster building level with Mike Elias, there's, he wants to have as many options as they can to, to, to open the season. I do think that, you know, Felix Hernandez, he said himself, he signed here so he can make the rotation. I'm sure Matt Harvey will say something similar. And there's a pretty good chance that they will, you know. Wade LeBlanc and Tommy Malone said the same thing last spring. And, you know, it was like the second week in March and the Orioles were already sending back their their Rule 5 pitchers because it was pretty much a formality that those guys who were signed at the beginning of camp in February were going to be in the rotation. So there was no use pretending that they weren't going to be. Is that something that's going to happen with Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey this year? Who knows? Are, are all three of those guys going to make the rotation and 
the Orioles go with a six-man rotation? It's possible. Do they like Jorge Lopez enough that that somebody might get stuck in the bullpen or Lopez might get stuck in the bullpen so they don't have to put him through waivers? That's possible, too. I think it's going to be all about amassing as many options to start as possible and, and hoping that you know by by the middle of April, beginning of May, that, that there is a five-man, possibly even a six-man group that, that sticks and is a is able to consistently keep the Orioles in games. Hey, John, it's Zach Goodman, and you just mentioned him. Tommy Malone obviously signed in Baltimore as a minor league free agent in 2020, as well as Wade LeBlanc, and those two guys kind of were, were a big part of the Orioles' rotation in 2020 until Tommy Malone got traded, Wade LeBlanc got hurt. Is there any chance, now they've brought back Wade LeBlanc, is there a chance that Tommy Malone could be brought back as well? Have you heard anything about that? I haven't heard anything about it. To be honest, you know, when he signed last year, the rotation was, was not, you know, there wasn't already, you know, a Wade LeBlanc. Or there wasn't already right. a Wade, there was already a Wade LeBlanc, but there wasn't already a Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey kind of in those jobs. And I think yeah. that as everyone's looking around, they're they're on roster resource and their agents on roster resource just like we are, and saying, all right, they have you know three guys who's who who you would assume are part of their future and are in the rotation, and they got three guys who are minor league free agents who are probably in the rotation. Where does that leave me? And if there's a chance to be higher up on the depth chart elsewhere. I would I would assume that Tommy Malone would would want to be in a place like that. But that said, I know that things kind of went sideways for him once he went to Atlanta. So it's unclear what the market is for him, how he developed. But you know, I don't think he typically is the type of person to to sweat over these things. I know he signed pretty a good ways into camp last year, so I'm sure he's just waiting for the right opportunity. Well, John, is there another free agent pitcher that could be on the horizon for the Orioles? Do you think that they're pretty much done um, handing out contracts to pitchers and they're just focused on the group that they have now in camp? I think that if, if I had to handicap it, it, I think that some of the pitchers who have signed in the last in the last week or so on those on these big league deals, you know, Aaron Sanchez and Taiwan Walker are probably on the high end of what was left on the market, but they're also, you know, the best pitchers there and they're the youngest and they had the most upside and I think that's something that if the Orioles were going to give out a big league deal and go to that level to to secure someone that's the type of pitcher they would have done it with you know they Mm -hmm. signed a lot of people to minor league deals last year but Cole Stewart who was a former first round pick and who's young and still has the potential to to you know develop into this long-term rotation piece is what the Orioles felt at the time and they were willing to go to the big league deal level and to make that call. I think that if the Orioles are going to do that, it's not going to be so that they have another, you know, camp body and somebody to, to start games in Sarasota and compete for a spot. It's going to be somebody that they have a lot longer term view on. That would be where if I'm in my class issues, that's where I'd go to that big league deal. That's where I would, you know, have to take somebody off the roster. That's what I would do that for. And I think those possibilities are probably out there without the list in front of me. It just seems like those pitchers also probably would want a different opportunity than what the Orioles possibly could be offering yeah. them. Yeah, one one name that I keep coming back to is Matt Shoemaker, and I, I've talked about him at length on the show uh, several times over the last several weeks. Uh, is that somebody who really hasn't pitched? Uh, it, it hasn't pitched extensively uh, since 2016. He's been injured a lot over the last four or five seasons. Is that somebody that the Orioles could view as, hey, it's getting into, it, we're getting into spring training now. He still doesn't have a deal. We might be able to get him for $2 million rather than the $5 million that may, he may have been looking for. Yeah, I think I saw that. I think I saw that he had he had gone somewhere. I can't bring it up. He signed with the Twins, actually. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, he signed with the Twins. Oh, yep. 
Right. Okay, yeah, but but I think those are the types of guys, you know, those are the types of things that it's it's a balance. Those pitchers are going to want to go somewhere where they know they have an opportunity, A, which is the Orioles. And this could be Matt Shoemaker, you know, when he was in negotiations with teams, or it could be anybody who's left out there. They're going to want, A, the Orioles' opportunity. The Orioles are going to be high on the opportunity ranking because, you know, you don't know what you have in Matt Harvey or Wade LeBlanc or Felix Hernandez. If you have somebody who who feels he could pitch well and he can bet on himself and he'd probably win that bet here. But you also want some stability. You want to know that you're signing with in a place that that's where you're going to be for a little bit. And if you're getting, you know, big league money, especially, you know, two, three million bucks, that's grounds to be traded in Baltimore. <laughs> Let's be perfectly honest. Yeah. That's, that's, yep. that's something that come J- June or July, if you're playing well and this team's not playing well and, and is already out of the race, then you're not going to be in control of your situation anymore. And I think that's something that the all everyone who is considering here has to take into account that that just because you're signing with Baltimore in in February doesn't mean you're going to be in Baltimore in August. Well, we we just saw that he that Shoemaker did indeed sign with the Twins one year two million. Last week you saw Colin McHugh signed uh, one year one point eight million. Um, this is these are numbers that it seems like the Orioles could afford. Definitely. Now we don't know if they had offers out to these two pitchers, but is this a sign that you know guys who want to be who want to extend their major league career, if the money's the same, they're going to sign with a team that's more ready to win and plays in a bigger ballpark like Target Field out there in um, in Minnesota rather than come to Baltimore playing the bandbox in the American League East for a last place team. Is that kind of what the Orioles are up against right now? I think it is. And you look at the pitchers that the Orioles have signed kind of on the flip side, you know, I don't think, I don't think Wade LeBlanc necessarily fits in this category, but Felix Hernandez has made plenty of money. Matt Harvey's made a good amount of money. And those are the types of pitchers who, you know, if you're searching for that extra million and, and trying to get teams to bid up, the Orioles probably bow out of that quickly. And if you're somebody who is secure, you know, and where you are financially and the money you've made and you just want to be able to go out there and show you could still pitch, that's the type of place. Those are the types of guys that I think come to Baltimore. I think that I think that teams are finding, you know, across the league that if it's a matter of an extra couple hundred thousand dollars, it's an extra matter of an extra million dollars to get a pitcher you want, that's what, I think players are finding that teams are willing to go that. And they could get to these numbers that they wanted for all the talk of, you know, the top end salaries being down, I think that there are a lot of decent price deals that are getting made, even as spring training is getting going. So I think players know that they can get that money somewhere. I just don't think that if money is the factor that that they're calling the Orioles. Now, John, you mentioned a little bit earlier in this segment the Orioles' Rule Five picks: Max Roller uh, and Tyler Wells, uh, big guys, big arms. Now. They sent back their two picks, um, Rucker and Bailey, last year. They sent back both of those Rule 5 picks even before the shutdown happened. Do these guys have more in Sorolla and, um, and oh my gosh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Wells. I'm sorry, thank you. In, in Sorolla and Wells, do these guys have more of a chance to stick with the, with the team this year, or do you see something similar to what happened with Rucker and Bailey last year? I see I see similarly long odds, to be perfectly honest. Um it's, it's, it's really – and that was kind of the reason that the Orioles sent the other guys back last year for, for, for a few different factors. One, it's hard to keep a Rule 5 pitcher when, when rosters are at 26. Now, it would have been a lot easier if they knew they were going to have 28, you know, for the whole, for the whole way and have right. a really big roster to, to be working with the way that they ultimately did in the 2020 season. But 
they didn't think they were going to have that. They're going to need to add, you would think, you know, at least two of Harvey Hernandez and Wade LeBlanc to the big league roster. So those are roster spots on the 40 man roster that are going to be really valuable. And I still think even though it's a pretty young Orioles bullpen, I don't think it's the type where there's a lot of optionable pieces that you would want to option so that you could have somebody like, like a long man who's a rule five pick kind of as a fixture in the bullpen. Yeah. Dylan Tate and Tanner Scott have options, but those are guys that you don't really want to be wasting for 10 days in the minors. It doesn't really make sense. I think they're going to be your best option, even if they're a little worn out. I don't know that, you know, Paul Fry is somebody that you're thinking about optioning in any meaningful way. I don't know. You know, you go through Hunter Harvey has options. I don't know the Orioles are going to option him in, in good faith. So it's not like they can move guys around and have those like, you know, front end of the bullpen pieces who can come up and down without any consequence and without impacting the strengths of your bullpen, just so you can keep one of those people in there if that's what you want to do. Now, John, we did see that Trey Mancini, Rio Ruiz, DJ Stewart, and Stevie Wilkerson have all arrived early. However, it seems like right now they're the only position players that arrived early. Is that because of the circumstances? Because it seems like there's usually 10 to 15 guys that arrive early, only four so far this year. A, have more arrived than we've been told about, and and B, is it because of the pandemic that they're not coming until they absolutely have to? Yeah, I would say, to to kind of go backwards, I would say that it's probably related to the intake process and and what's required to, to quarantine and to get yourself, you know, to be able to enter the facility and do that kind of work. Um, you know, I know some of the people who are invited, you know, as minor league camp reserves, and they weren't even told until the end of last week when we all found out about that. And they had, you know, basically to basically start quarantining at home right then to get to Florida for testing earlier this week so that they could be able to report when, 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 it's required this weekend on the position player side, at least I know that was probably even tighter turnaround for, for the pitchers. But again, we don't really know. It's something that, you know, at eight o'clock every day, we would walk into the Orioles clubhouse for, for the media availability down in Sarasota. And you'd see, you know, everyone's got their tight, their nicely manicured, you know, locker before they put all their stuff in it. And you could tell which ones haven't been touched and which ones have a backpack and, and shoes in front of it and who's got their Starbucks cup on the top shelf. And those are the guys that are there. That's how you would be able to tell in past times. And there are more than we know about now. Typically now it's just a matter of asking Brandon Hyde every day when we, when we talk to him and, and it seems like even then he's kind of fishing for to make sure, Oh, did I see this person? He, it seemed like he couldn't even remember if he had told us that Rio Ruiz was there Thursday or Friday. So who knows when he actually showed up, but he's there. You know, I think that, it won't be an issue. Guys won't not show up when they're supposed to, but for a variety of reasons, I'm sure that some guys are probably just waiting to, to report when they have to, and even if they're already in Sarasota for the intake process. John, you mentioned already the guys who are the camp reserves and are not at the big league camp in Sarasota, guys like Adley Rutschman. There are a few other notable names over there right now. What are those guys doing at the Twin Lakes uh, Park right now? Are they working out? or What kind of regimen do the Orioles have them on, and who is coaching them? Is it a guy like Gary Kendall or Buck Britton? So we were told yesterday that it's Kyle Moore over there who's, okay. um, who, who's running that site. I've seen Buck Britton um, in the B-roll videos that the Orioles have put out at the big league site. I assume Gary Kendall's over there, too, at Ed Smith Stadium. <clears throat> and I think it's just a space consideration, to be perfectly honest. I would assume that those players, you know, it's basically pitchers and catchers now because I don't think any of those camp reserve players have 
reported just yet. I'd be interested to see who is at the big league site and who is who is not uh, with that. But I think that at this point, if it's just throwing bullpens and playing catch and working out, you know, those guys pretty much just have the run of the place and they do the same amount of work and the same types of things that the guys across town at Ed Smith are doing. It's just a matter of having one facility for the big leaguers and one facility for the minor leaguers that aren't in the same place. There are, you know, probably three quarters of the teams in Florida and every team in Arizona has everyone under one roof. And that's just not the setup the Orioles have have in, in Sarasota. I believe the Pirates up in Bradenton have a similar have a similar split. So that's a consequence of of, you know, just basic dumb luck infrastructure that I think that they're having to deal with. But I think those players are going to be back and forth and, and, and kind of mixing a lot more once workouts start for the full squad. John, I was listening to um, 105.7 yesterday, and Jason Lockenfor got the rumor mill spinning a little bit. And he said that he had heard that there, have been preliminary, there may have been preliminary talks regarding an extension for Trey Mancini. I know nobody's really privy to that information outside of the front office, but have you heard anything in regards to that? And what does it mean about for this franchise, and what does it say about the direction this franchise is headed, that, even, that they'd even be entertaining extending a guy like Trey Mancini? To be honest, I hadn't I hadn't heard that Jason had said that. I have you know I haven't heard that in my own reporting. I think that that would be a very good sign for for both the player and the team. Um, and I think that I think that that kind of extension, you know, anything like that would go a long way towards kind of restoring some of the goodwill that this team has through a variety of ways through you know through the you know the conscious decision of knowing that they aren't going to be competing for the length of time that they are for some of the decisions they've made uh, in the presentation of games on television, you know, basic things like that, that the fans, you know, all look at as a whole and say, what's going on here. I think something like that would go a long way towards, towards maybe, towards maybe stemming that tide and making things a little easier uh, for, for people to stomach this rebuild. Now, does that also signify a guy like Trey Mancini if your rebuild isn't getting to a point where you're ready to start maximizing wins, you're probably not going to extend him. It being that he's 29, he's only got one year left in arbitration, and he wouldn't be here otherwise when this rebuild comes to fruition. Does it show that maybe after 2021, this team is ready to start playing more competitive baseball? It could. It could, honestly. I think that I think that the Orioles themselves are going to be very, very interested to see what some of these players who haven't really played competitive baseball at the minor league level for, you know, over a year at this point, what they look like and what impacts positively or negatively, you know, all the circumstances that happen in 2020 have on them. It could be a situation where they look at this and they say, Oh my gosh, we were counting on these pitchers to be ready in 2021 and they're not going to be, or you could say, Oh my gosh, all this work happened. This guy's ahead of schedule you know, we might be able to do this a year earlier than we thought. I just don't think they know that yet. I think right. they feel very confidently about what they've, they feel very confident about what they've done, what they were able to accomplish, what thing, what systems and programs they were able to put in place to individually help players address their developmental needs that will help that timeline be accelerated at the big league level. I don't think there's any way other than seeing it happen on a field, under the lights, in uniform, against guys in, in different 
colors who want to beat you to know if that actually held. And I think that a lot of what this team's long-term planning is going to be, you know, 2022, 2023, whenever that is, I think a lot of that's going to be determined once those games start again. Yeah, absolutely. I tend to agree with you. Now, John, before we let you go, uh, there's been a lot said about the Orioles. They've kind of made them the punching bag of Major League Baseball, the punchline, if you will, um, whether it's Fangrass or The Onion or Buster Only, a lot of, a lot of um, outlets kind of hating on the Orioles, maybe unnecessarily so. I'm not asking you to blast any other journalists or anything of the sort, but as a journalist yourself, can you find merit in all the hatred, or do you view this as low-hanging fruit and piling on a bad team when there are plenty of other teams who are just as bad, if not worse, and who have been bad for a long time? Yeah, I mean, I think the best defense is, you know, is the truth. If teams, if, if someone wants to say that the Orioles are, are not, you know, a, a good team, it's it's hard to it's hard to argue that when right. you look at you know actual good teams. If people want to say that the Orioles don't spend money like other teams, it's hard to argue that. Even though, like you said, there are teams that are also similarly not competing. Now, what I kind of take issue with on just a broad personal, you know, professional level is that a lot of the same people who who are knocking and and feel strongly about the Orioles rebuilding were years in in advance in the middle of a competitive period for this franchise, you know, 2016, 2017, 2018, while this team was, you know, among the better teams in the American League, always near the top of the division, competing for the playoffs, made the playoffs, you know, three times in, in five seasons and, and could have done better in probably all of those. Mm-hmm. The Orioles had superstars like Manny Machado under contract. They had really, really good players like Zach Britton under contract who are under their control, who were making real money. And these people before this competitive window was even close to being finished are kind of browbeating the Orioles to trade them. What are you going to trade them for? You're not going to trade a Manny Machado for another big league star. You're going to trade them for younger players. Younger players are less expensive. Younger players are not ready for the big leagues in the way that a Manny Machado is. So, so these same people, I feel, who wanted the Orioles to trade all these players and spent a lot of time, you know, calling it some kind of crisis of management or mismanagement or, or lack of leadership or lack of vision that the Orioles had really good players and didn't trade them until the absolute last moment to say that that was the wrong thing to do when what you're really saying is get rid of your good players so other teams can have them and then also criticize the Orioles for not having good players. I just don't really understand the, I don't really understand the lack of consistency on that. And I feel like that's something that, that I've tried to address, you know, as often as I can when we're talking about these things in in my writing, in my commentary. Yeah. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, especially when these same people are the same people that were lauding the Astros and Cubs for doing exactly what the Orioles are doing. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. So John, great segment as always. Thank you so much for joining the program. Always enjoy every chance I get to speak with you. Have a great weekend. Enjoy your trip down to Sarasota, and uh, good luck to you and your family. I appreciate it. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks, John. Take care. And that was John Mioli of the Baltimore Sun joining us to talk about the Orioles, about spring training, and a little bit about this this piling on that seems to be going on across Major League Baseball when it comes to the Orioles. We're going to get our second break of the program, and uh, then we're going to come back and we're going to do our Orioles banter low-hanging fruit segment. 
Glenn Clark just happened to be walking around the office just now, so it makes me want to remind you that every Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via PressBox's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys called up with Brenda Fries, Baseball America's J.J. Cooper, and much more. Find those interviews today uh, in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. We're going to get another break, and then we'll be back with Orioles Banter. C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. Since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. PressBox is offering three different types of masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They're not CDC approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your favorite teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com masks to get yours now. Get the fresh start you deserve. It's a new year. It's a new you. In the U.S. Army, you will acquire the skills and experiences that will prepare you for a long and successful career. There are more than 150 career fields to help you find the right fit for your future. Become a stronger and more successful individual that you and your family can be proud of. Explore all the ways to serve. To request more information, text AQWP to Go Army or 462-769. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A minus financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. 
The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, a lengthy Q&A with Orioles manager Brandon Hyde as he candidly discussed the impact the pandemic has had on the team's rebuilding effort, Chris Davis, Adley Rutschman, and much more. Inside, find our special college lacrosse feature, introducing you to the men's and women's players at all of the area schools. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Well, I just realized that I uh, I played break three and break in break two slot, so we're getting Glenn Clark radio music uh, a little bit earlier, which I'm always okay with. We like to save it for the end, but it's it's good to have it now. Yeah, we and hey, break two's uh, uh, music to come back in from break is always really good too. So it's it's six of one, half dozen the other. We will get that second break played for you in the break three time slot. In the meantime, time for Orioles banter and Zach. We have titled this this segment low-hanging fruit as we broadcast live here from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. And the reason that we've that we've named this segment low-hanging fruit is because it seems like everybody is taking their opportunity to pile on the Orioles. It, it, it's, it started, I don't even remember when, when it started. Uh, you look at Peter Gammons a couple of weeks ago right. with his with his uh, AL East preview, and he didn't even mention the Orioles, which if your website is behind a paywall and you're writing American League, uh, any division preview, you have to cover every single team because you, whether you realize it or not, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, you have fans of the teams that you don't cover who are paying their five, six, seven, eight, nine dollars, whatever it is, a month to read your articles and not see their team covered. You have a responsibility to your re- to your readers and your followers to cover every team in that division. And look, I've had my own issues with Peter Gammons, with Buster only. Uh, I feel like I feel like they've gotten to points where in, in their careers where they feel like they know better than everybody else, and maybe they do. But I just feel like you can see that in the way that they interact with people and the way that they talk and the things that they write and leaving out the Orioles in the American League East preview. And I just feel like that that's bad. I feel like it's bad for what you're doing. It's bad for the game. And, you know, you're, you're doing your fans a disservice by not doing your job to the full extent just because there's an air about you. Uh, and it seems like there's an air about a lot of people when it comes to the Orioles. Fan graphs gives the Orioles a 0.0% chance to make the playoffs. No other team had a 0% chance. The Pittsburgh Pirates, the only team to not win at least 22 games last year, have a 0.4% chance in the NL Central. Now, look, I get it. The Orioles are not a great baseball team playing in arguably the toughest division in all of baseball. So I understand. But 0.0, and, and it's not even It's not even that these, that these outlets are wrong. The Orioles aren't going to make the playoffs this right. year. Guys, there's a 0% chance that the Orioles make the playoffs this year. So many, like, the entire rosters of the Yankees, Red Sox, Rays, and Blue Jays would have to get hurt for the year, and they'd have to call up all of their minor leaguers for the Orioles to even have a shot, and even then, they probably still wouldn't make the playoffs. Uh, it's not that these teams are wrong. 
that these outlets are wrong. The Onion wrote, writes a satirical article about the Orioles, how they're upset that so many players showed up to spring training in good shape and how Brandon Hyde has ordered them to put on 30 pounds of flab before opening day. Buster Olney said, I don't know where we got to a point in the sport where you could basically check out for five, six, seven years and not be relevant and have it be okay. First of all, four years ago, the Orioles were a game out of a wild card spot in September. Five years ago, they were in the playoffs. Right. Six years ago, they were a 500 team. Seven years ago, they won the AL East. This team is two and a half years into a rebuild, Buster. They're not five, six, seven years into a rebuild. They are two and a half years into a rebuild. And again, it's not that what's being said is wrong. It's the fact that they're the punchline. While teams like the Astros and the Cubs were celebrated for doing exactly this to get their World Series championships. 2016, the Cubs win it after 108 years. 2017, the Astros win their first title ever. And how did it happen? By losing 100 games three, four years in a row, being the laughing stock of baseball, to get where they are now. You look at the Pirates, who have had four winning seasons since 1992, the Royals, who have had four winning seasons since 1993, the Tigers, who have had eight winning seasons since 1995, the Mariners, who have not made the playoffs since 2001. The only team in baseball to not make the playoffs over the last 20 years. And they're not being talked about the way the Orioles are. It, and I, that's why we call it low-hanging fruit, because it's easy. It's easy. It, you're taking the easy way out when you write your power rankings, you write your previews, you leave the team out, or you don't, or you discredit them. They, they won't even win 10 games in a 60-game season. It's, it's laughable that they get away with this, that these editors allow them to get away with this. Uh, I want to get your take on this before we talk, get a little bit more in-depth about what we're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, you're right about it. The Orioles are not going to be a good team this year. They're not going to win 90 games. Everyone knows that. But to say they're out before they're out isn't technically true. You can't say the Orioles have a 0% chance of making the playoffs because nothing is zero. That's not statistically possible. You know, the Orioles aren't at 0% until they're officially eliminated, which won't take that long, obviously. Then we can talk about how the Orioles are at 0%. To have the Pirates, to have the Rockies, to have these teams who were considerably worse than the Orioles at a, at a higher percent, and I know it's all based off of simulations that Fangraphs runs, all that kind of stuff, it's just kind of it's kind of bad. And I know the Orioles are in a hard division. You, you just got to cut the Orioles a little bit more slack. And the Orioles have kind of been the face of rebuilding baseball teams. They've kind of been the punching bag over the past couple of years because now there's this whole new philosophy that – if you are rebuilding, it's bad for baseball. You're bad for baseball. You know, Mike Elias is bad for baseball. All this stuff. A lot of reporters have been saying that. I think John Heyman said it a few times. Buster Olney now. It's bad for baseball, and the Orioles are the face of that. You know, everyone looks at the Orioles because they won 47 games in 2018. Now they've become the face of that. And there are a lot of other teams that, frankly, have been doing the same thing for a long time. Mm -hmm. Everyone celebrated Houston. They did the exact same thing. Everyone celebrated Houston. There's a book called Astro Ball about how Houston rebuilt the perfect way and became that World Series champion. This stuff, it happens. It has to happen. The Orioles aren't going to go out and sign a $15 million free agent because it's not going to make a difference. You're not going to get taken from 70 wins to 90 wins with a George Springer. It takes a lot more than that. You have to grow your homegrown talent base before you can get to signing these free agents and be back in contention. And the Orioles are doing what's right. You may not like it, but they're doing what's right. And that, that's the way it is. Well, look, and Stan brought, brought up, well, the Royals have had a good offseason. Yeah, the, the Royals, they they've had a good offseason. They yeah. traded for Andrew Benintendi. They, they added Mike Miner. They added a couple other players. They're trying to fortify their lineup a little bit. But guess what? They're a 75-win team. Right. The, the, yep. Uh, uh, 
They're getting closer to back. They're, they're to getting back to closer, the playoffs, yeah. but but the White Sox aren't getting worse. They have a ton of young, controllable talent. The Twins are still right up there. They hit 300 home runs two years ago. Uh, they were on pace for that again last year. Uh, the um, the the Indians have some of the best pitching in the American League. So the Royals are spending money to be stagnant. They're spending money to to just kind of tread water and not make every not make the season miserable. I don't want that for Baltimore. It, it makes your fans enjoy the season a little more, but in the end, you're going to say, why do we spend this money? What was the point of this? And I think the Red Sox are doing the same thing. The Red Sox are spending a lot of the, money where they're really not going to be really a good team at all this the, year. The Red Sox are a different animal. The Red, the Red Sox it, can true. spend it's over true. $200 million anytime they want. They, they, can, they can buy their next world championship if they want to. The Red Sox are a different animal. We're looking at the Royals are a mid-market team, maybe even a small market team like yeah. the Orioles, and I would rather watch, cover, root for a team that I know is going to be good consistently, maybe in two to three years from now, rather than get a team who's, okay, we spent $15 million on on Jake Odorizzi, and now we're going to win 78 games this year and 78 games next year. Maybe right. we'll hit our high watermark of 84 wins in three years, but we're not anywhere close to contending for the top of this division because they aren't. The Royals aren't, aren't there. Um, now, speaking of that, we don't have much time left. The Orioles, they're not going to prove anybody wrong this year. They, they just aren't. Um, right. Like Stan said, 70 wins is probably your ceiling. And, and that makes and that would be a very successful season for the Orioles. If you look at a 70-win team, that would be very successful, even though you know they, they didn't win anything, they didn't make the playoffs. 70 wins shows you've made that next step. Your player development's gotten better, and you're one step closer to being back to in the playoffs. I mean, that, that's really what it is. Well, and I said before last, last season – 25 and 35 would be a really nice season for Baltimore. And they were yep. 25 and 35. That's still a 95 loss season. I expect the Orioles to be improved this year. But what can they do to keep themselves in contention long enough to make these these people say, because at some point they're going to be eliminated from playoff contention. And, right. and then fan crowds can say, well, we, we told you. And then it will be 0%. But right, right. now it's not. But uh, what can this team do to kind of make that last and kind of make these people, and these people aren't going to sweat. They don't care. They, they don't care if the Orioles win 90 games or the Orioles win 30 games. Right. But what can they do? And I, I look at it, John Means has to do what he did the last four starts. Dean Kramer and Keegan Aiken need to take that next step. Ryan Mountcastle needs to be that 30 homer, 30 double guy like Trey Mancini. Trey Mancini needs to be 2019 Trey Mancini rather than 2018 Trey Mancini, although that's still a pretty solid player. Santander, he needs to stay healthy. But I look at one guy that can really help turn this lineup over, that can really help t- this lineup take the next step, and that's DJ Stewart. And I said last year, uh, last summer before the season started, this is a make-or-break year. 20, 2020 was a make-or-break it, year. It's, it's for, time to prove it. Yep. For, for DJ Stewart. And then he started 0 for 17, struck out 10 times, walked 9 times, and you're like, oh, man, he's done. Then he comes back up. He gets sent down, then he comes back up. And his first three hits are home runs. He homers seven times in a week. He batted under 200 for the season, but had an on-base percentage approaching 360. If DJ Stewart can finally reach that potential, and we know it's there. We know it's there. When he was hot, he was hotter than any any player in baseball. Seven homers in a week going the other way at times. If DJ Stewart can hit 270, that's a 385 on-base percentage. If he can hit those 20 home runs, he is your number two hitter. If he can do what you drafted him to do, it is up to G.J. Stewart. He's going to have the inside track on being the regular designated hitter 
for this team in twenty in twenty twenty one. Now Trey Mancini can get get some get some um, time as a designated hitter to kind of keep him rested and healthy. Uh, you can see Ryan Mountcastle DH. But DJ Stewart has the inside track to be the regular designated hitter. A big spring from him and a hot start will go a long way to helping fortify and solidify this lineup. It will. And right now, if you look at the Orioles lineup, it's kind of a black hole from really 6 to 9. It's it's gets pretty bad for the Orioles. And that's obviously normal in a rebuilding team. But if you can have a guy like DJ Stewart who can make that bottom of the lineup better and then potentially even move up in the lineup, like you said, to number 2, getting on base at a 370 clip, that would be fantastic out of DJ Stewart. All we all we really need him to do, all you really need him to do is hit 220, walk a bunch. And he did walk a bunch. He walked 20 times in a 60-game season where he didn't even play that often, which is an incredible number. He only struck out 38 times, but that's that's still fine. That's a good, you know, walk to strikeout ratio. So, he's going to have to keep walking just hit a little bit better 193 that's a little bit low uh you know the OPS is going to show that it's pretty high just because of all the walks OBP but I want to see that average come up get a, li- a couple more hits stop striking out maybe a little bit as much start showing the power we know you have and you can be a, a pretty formidable piece in the lineup he's not going to be you know an MVP but he can be something that the Orioles can count on day in day out because right now I'm not sure he's that guy but he has time to prove it well I'll tell you right now you and I will disagree on differ on this one 220 is unacceptable Two, two. I, I think if you're walking as much as he does, though, I think no, I, I think no matter what, 220 is always unacceptable. Because if you're walking Fair that enough. much, if you're batting 250, that on-base percentage is way higher. Uh, 220 for the 25th overall pick in the draft, who's now 27 years old, to me that's unacceptable. It's, it's You're hitting 250 or better, or you're not playing. That's just how I look at it. Zach, you got to pay some bills for us while I get Kevin Brown on the line. All right, so the latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, a lengthy Q&A with Orioles manager Brandon Hyde as he candidly discussed the impact the pandemic has had on the team's rebuilding effort. Chris Davis, Adley Rutschman, and much more. Inside, find our special college lacrosse feature introducing you to the men's and women's players at all of our area schools. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and at PressBoxOnline.com. Make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models, a RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out BuyAToyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. All right, lovely as always. Zach, on the line with us now from uh, Masson and from the Orioles Radio Network, we have Kevin Brown. Kevin, how are you this morning? Guys, I'm great. I just finished watching episode seven of WandaVision, so I'm in a very good mood. No spoilers here, though. No spoilers. Yeah, I, I plan to watch it at some point. I haven't I, watched it either. I haven't gotten around to that just yet. Now, Kevin, Zach and I were just talking about uh, some of the piling on that's been going on with the Orioles over the recent weeks, months, and even years. Um, as they're being kind of degraded for something that the Astros and Cubs were lauded for and all these other pretty bad teams like the Pirates, Tigers, Mariners, Royals seem to get a pass. What is your opinion on all these, uh, on the Orioles basically being a punchline across Major League Baseball? Uh, This is just part of rebuilding, I think. This is what happened. The Astros were a punchline, too. That's not to say it will work or won't work, right? But what Mike Elias and what the team is doing, it's a sound organizational strategy. it's very, very, very easy for people to take pot shots, right? We live in the world of social media where everybody's trying to have the funniest tweet of the day. It's, it's very easy. People threw pot shots at the Astros for four years. 
The Astros have no plan. This is a joke. This is not competitive. Uh, I'm not saying that the Orioles are going to win 100 games in three straight years or do what the Astros did, but this is the way you have success. Maybe they will. I mean, if you want to throw pot shots at somebody, throw pot shots at Major League Baseball for setting up an organizational or, or, or a league structure where your best move as an organization, if you're not ready to compete for championships, is to do what the Orioles have done, is to tear it all down, is to intentionally um, throw away your major league talent to build up your minors. I mean, if, if, if Michael Elias had come in and said, we're going to try to be a playoff team, does anybody realistically think, with what the Orioles had when Michael Elias got there, on an organizational level, they would be in the playoffs? No. Uh, they would not, unless the Orioles had thrown around an insane amount of money. And then the farm system would have been in as bad of shape as it was three seasons ago. So, yeah, this is just part and parcel of, of what happens when you tear things down and when you rebuild. Look, the organization from 2018 to now, I mean, top to bottom, there's infinitely more talent, and we all see that. Oh, and absolutely. The moves Michael Elias has made to fill out the depth, and not just Mike, but, but his entire staff. Um you look at all the farm system rankings, and by and large, the Orioles have improved by a huge, huge number from three years ago till now. This was always going to be a difficult job. And I credit the front office for not saying, well, you know what? We're getting ripped in, in the press and on Twitter, so let's just accelerate this. No, they've been patient, and, and I think ownership deserves credit, too. You, you have to be patient with something like this. And yes, it is painful. In the, at the major league level for a while. It's painful when fan graphs tweets that, okay, we'll update our odds, and 29 teams are at 100%, the Orioles are at yeah. 0%. Yeah. Like, you just have to laugh. It, by the way, the Orioles, I think, had uh, a better record than, what, six or seven of those teams last year? But yeah, yeah, they did. You just have to laugh. It's, it, this is part of the organizational strategy, and everybody's going to get ripped on Twitter nowadays. Doesn't mean the Orioles are doing the wrong thing. They're they're doing the right thing, and I, I think folks can look at the talent level top to bottom, not just in the big leagues from three years ago. There's no question this has been a good plan. Yeah, the the plan seems to be working. We saw a lot of steps forward uh, last year, a lot of progress with this ball club. And look, people tend to overvalue uh, the the talent around their team. It's just a fact. Now, I don't think anybody's overvaluing the Orioles to the point where they're actually offended that they aren't picked to make the playoffs next year. I think it's more so it's just, you know, quit beating a dead horse. And that's what people seem to be the most upset about. Now, Kevin, what is it that the Orioles can do in 2021? Again, they're not going to make the playoffs. But what can they do as a, as a team to kind of quiet those critics and kind of pull themselves out of this hole where they're the joke of baseball right now? Uh, just keep building, keep developing. I mean, I mean, remember in, I think it was 2010 when Steven Strasburg came up, you know, the Nationals had been kind of a laughing stock for a while. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that Steven Strasburg is a generational guy. I mean, he and Adley Rutschman are both number one picks, but they are different players. But all of a sudden it was like a, a, a switch flipped the national perception of the Nats was no longer, well, they're a laughing stock. It was, oh, oh, look at this. They have young talent, and they invested, and oh, now we can see a roadmap. Let's think about the other guys in the minor leagues. The Orioles are going to bring up more young players this year. Um, 
I don't know if that will be Adley Rutschman this season. You know, uh, we don't know. It, it may be still a little bit too tall of a task to say Grayson Rodriguez or D.L. Hall after not having a minor league season make it up this year, but we're going to see more young players. I think the perception shifts every time you bring somebody up that performs well. I think the perception shifted when Ryan Mountcastle came up last year. I have friends who are not Orioles fans, who are just baseball fans, who were texting me last year, hey, Ryan Mountcastle, he's pretty good, he's fun to watch. I, I, I think it changes every time you bring up a player and you take a step in that direction, and every time the players you have in the major leagues develop. And by and large, the Orioles are going to throw out a young team. And by and large, some of those guys are going to hit. You never know exactly who it's going to be. Two years ago, remember, we didn't know that Trey Mancini was going to be the kind of player he was. It seems obvious now, but he had a really, really brutal uh, half of 2018 and then a strong second half. But 2019, he was an all-star type player. Nobody knew who John Means was going into 2019. Nobody knew that Anthony Santander could be like a top, 15 outfield hitter in his time when he was healthy last year. So just keep developing, being patient, uh, understanding that more young players are going to come up. And the Orioles don't have to be the talk of national baseball this year. They're probably not going to be. There's a, there's a lot going on in the big leagues. But you know, people around the game, I think, are seeing the study progress that's being made. And you don't want to, again, jeopardize the plan at the risk of getting a quick fix. Like, it would it would put the Orioles in the national spotlight if they called up Adley Rutschman. But yeah. it doesn't do you any good in the long term to call him up until he's ready, right? So I, I don't think this is an organization that is ready for the quick fix. I, I think they have the long term in mind, and I think they can live with a little more patience. Now, Kevin, you mentioned Trey Mancini and John Means. Um, and, and uh, Anthony Santander, who have who have come up and kind of made names for themselves, uh, they kind of ke- seemingly came out of nowhere. Um, now, is there somebody or a, a multitude of players that you see that are in spring training right now that could have the same impact? It could be the same type of players that you don't really know who they are, but then all of a sudden they get to the major leagues and they're that player. It, it's a good question. I mean, I think we know most of the Orioles roster at this point, as odd as that is to say, spring mm-hmm. training has just started. Um, by and large, will there be somebody who comes out of nowhere like a John Means? I, I feel like I can't answer that because that person would come out of nowhere. So right. I, I, right, that's a good point. I don't have anyone in mind, but I will say um, this is not exactly what you're asking, but I do think there's a chance on a, on a national level for people to get to know Austin Hayes this year. I know in Baltimore people know Austin Hayes. And I know he's been around since 2017, and he was the first player from his draft class very quickly into the big leagues. But, you know, it does feel like we in Baltimore have been talking about Austin Hayes for a long time. He's played 74 games in the major leagues. That's it. I mean, he hasn't even played half of a big league season. And nobody right now seems to be talking about Austin Hayes. And I just think with health, and yes, he's had an injury-riddled career, but they're not necessarily the types of injuries that make me think he will be going down forever. You get hit in the ribs in the wrong spot, you just get hit in the ribs. I think with health this year, I think he has a chance to be one of the better two-way center fielders in the game. I mean, you look at what he did coming back from 
getting hit by a pitch last year. He was a well above average hitter the second half of the season. He is an elite defensive center fielder. Ryan Mountcastle and Anthony Santander were so good last year that people are talking about them in the corners. And I think Austin Hayes was a big talking point going into last year's spring training. Is it the is the center field job his now? Is the leadoff spot his? And then you know he got off to a slow start and then he got hurt. But he finished strong when people weren't necessarily paying attention. He is 25. He's an elite defender. I just think this guy has a chance to be a really special two-way player, and, and maybe we're all forgetting about him because he's been in our lives since 2017. And I don't think he's on the national radar, but give him 140 games, give him you know a web jam every week or two, I think there's a chance that people will really get to know Austin Hayes outside of Baltimore this year. I really do, and, and I, I, I hope he can play 130, 140 games because I think if he does, he's going to open some eyes. Now, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I keep seeing lineup projections for opening day, and every lineup projection I see has Cedric Mullins at the top of the order playing center field with Austin Hayes yeah. on the bench. Is that more a testament to how well Cedric bounced back in 2020 or how much Austin fell before he had that rib injury? I think it's both. I, I, again, the, the second half of Austin's season – was really, really good. And I know yeah. that, you know, second half in a 60-game season where you only play 33 is not much. But 57 played appearances after the injury last year at 377. He slugged 585. But Cedric Mullins was the center fielder you know, during the middle portion of the year, right, when the Orioles surged their way into the edge of the playoff race. And when people were paying attention to the Orioles, People were paying attention to Cedric Mullins. Austin Hayes, by and large, played and hit well when the Orioles had faded or were fading out of contention. And, you know, when the season was coming to an end, Ravens are starting, Orioles aren't winning as much, nobody's really paying attention to Austin Hayes. Austin Hayes still, offensively, you know, had, had the kind of year Cedric Mullins had. I mean, they're very comparable numbers. Austin's numbers may be even a little bit better. So... I was thrilled to see what Cedric did last year. It was a really special season for a guy who had been essentially buried in 2019. Yeah. I still think Austin Hayes is, is the higher ceiling player. I know Cedric Mullins was a gold glove type outfielder and had all those fun hits last year. And I think he is an awesome fourth outfielder. You can play him in center. You can put him in the corners if you need. He can be a pinch runner. He can be a defensive replacement. Um, he can be a guy you bring up if you need a bun. I, Cedric Mullins is such a valuable player. I think Austin Hayes has the higher ceiling, and I would be very surprised if he is not the starting center fielder. Hey, Kevin, it's Zach Goodman. We've been talking a lot about the outfield, but there are some infield questions still for the Orioles. Obviously, the middle of the infield with Galvis and Sanchez is pretty locked up, but at third base, Brandon Hyde said this week that Rio Ruiz is still going to have to keep his spot there and earn a spot there in spring training. What do you see happening at third base, and do you think Jemai Jones could have a chance to take over second where uh, Yomer Sanchez would move over to third? I think it's possible. Um you know, Brandon just a couple of days ago raved about how athletic Jemai was. He had talked to some Angels coaches, and he said the coaches told told Brandon how much better Jemai got defensively 
over his time there. And and why is Yolmer Sanchez on his team? I think it's because of his defense, right? Right. He's a gold glove second baseman. We, Yolmer Sanchez has not been, you know, a league average hitter for most of his time in the bigs. The Orioles signed him for his defense, similar to Freddie Galvis. So if Jemai Jones is going to give you a little bit more offensive potential and his defense is improving, then maybe he is going to end up being the guy at second base. I, I think Rio is the third baseman a, a little bit by default. Yeah. Simply to say that the third base options in the system are not at a point where they seem major league ready yet. I mean, Rio had some great stretches last season, but by and large, is still finding consistency. And you look at his full season numbers the last couple of years, and you say, you know, we want this guy to hit better, or it could be a place for an offensive upgrade. So I don't think that the third base spot is, is his set in stone. I think Freddie's starting it short. I think Yomer Sanchez will start somewhere. But if the Orioles see more than they thought in Jemai Jones, uh, you, you bring up a good point. Maybe it is worth it to put him at second and Yolmer at third. Maybe that is the answer rather than finding another third baseman with Yolmer at second. Um, it, it's something I'll be interested to watch because there's not an obvious answer on the table, but maybe this is the, the position where somebody comes out of nowhere and can't. Maybe one of the minor league infielders, I don't know, Ryland Bannon or somebody else, really shows the Orioles that they deserve to be in the mix at third base. Yeah, uh, this is certainly going to be one of the more intriguing um, camp competitions uh, to see if Rio Ruiz will continue to hold on to that third base job. Like you said, basically by default, he has that third base job because there just isn't anybody else to take it. Jemai Jones, he wasn't brought over here to not be a part of your team, so is he going to have an opportunity to play second base at the big league level? Do you want him being a utility infielder? Do you want him playing every day down at Norfolk? Those are questions that that are going to be answered, and you know, fans are going to be watching for this but they aren't going to be able to watch it on mass, and it seems like it. Kevin, what we're hearing is that there's not going to be any spring training games aired by mass. Is that what you've been told, or is that just speculation at this point? I don't know that for sure, to be honest. And and I don't just say that to hide anything. I genuinely don't know that for sure yet. Um, I'm still uh, trying to figure out what my exact schedule is going to be. But that's fine. I know I'm doing games and I don't need an exact schedule right now. There are a million things more important than that, but I don't know for sure if there are going to be spring training games on TV or not. I know there were going to be a couple uh, last season. Another was, I think one early and then there were going to be a couple later in the spring. Uh, I know there will be some radio uh, games on spring training. I don't have a TV answer for you yet though. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, we talked about this last August. You said you still had other broadcasting commitments, so a partial schedule was all that was in the cards for you with the Orioles. Is that still the case in 2021, um, or are you going to have a little bit uh, broader of a schedule with this team? Yeah, I'll, I'll be doing more games this year. Um, I'll be doing about half the games and, and most of those on TV. Okay. Still some on radio, but uh, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't excited to, to get to do a bunch more on TV especially now that the Cakes is coming back. Uh, Palmer and I have not been in the TV booth together. We had Jim on remotely last year, but uh, I only did the games with Ben McDonald, who was also delightful. But it'll be great to do some games with Ben and some games with Jim. So more games for me this year. I'm thrilled about it. I'm, I'm humbled about it. I'm excited. 
and most of those will be on TV. So that's going to be a fun change of pace. And I get to, to stick around and still do some stuff on radio. So it feels like a win-win, honestly. I'm, I'm very happy about it. Well, Kevin, it certainly seems like a win um, for the Orioles fan base. And without without inflating your ego here too much, you seem no, to please. bring— to, <laughs> you seem to be a breath of fresh air when it comes to Orioles broadcasts. You're very lighthearted. You bring a, a sense of levity to these broadcasts. When you're covering, honestly, you're covering a bad baseball team most of the time. Uh, Orioles fans are pretty upset right now. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention the mass and cuts. Namely, uh, Gary Thorne, Tom Davis, Jim Hunter, and Mike Bordick will not be back. Uh, a couple other guys, but those are the big names that people kind of cling to, especially Gary Thorne. It's nice to know that you'll be replacing him for a lot of games with Jim Palmer. Did you know that these cuts were happening, or were you kind of caught off guard like the rest of us? I mean, I knew a little bit just from being in the organization and just obviously before I sign a contract, you know, my agent and I and the team have discussions. I, I didn't get into specifically who was coming back and who's not. Uh, this may seem strange to believe because I'm in the broadcast industry, but uh, I I don't really seek out this kind of stuff. A lot of people do, and and you know, I, and I'm not saying that to like throw stones or anything, but a lot of people want to know what's going on behind the scenes. I, maybe I'm just a little lower maintenance, but. Tell me when and where I'm doing games, uh, with whom I'll show up, and and that's good by me, honestly. Right. So, like I'm, you know, I'm friends with obviously pretty much all the folks that that won't be coming back. I mean, Dave Johnson and I did uh, most. Dave was the analyst on most of my radio games my first year, and, and Dave and I got very close very quickly there. So, it's you know, of course, it's disappointing. I mean, it's it's an odd position right because i'm thrilled to be doing more but at the same time that that's at the cost of some folks who are not going to be coming back or doing nearly as much and I, i'm never going to be in a position to say whether it was the right or the wrong decision or what my bosses do with other people that doesn't impact me and uh, frankly it's not my place to say what decisions in this business are right or wrong it's not my call and i would never do that all I could say is on a personal level, of course I'm going to miss those guys. They're, they're friends. They became great friends to me. I mean, Jim Hunter really showed me the ropes in 2019 when I got the job. Um, doing games with Brian Roberts and Mike Bordick and Greg Olson and, and DJ, those guys have all been so good to me. And, you know, the position I'm in, I mean, people who've watched me on TV see it. I'm a young person, I, and I look it. Right? <laughs> I, I, I look even younger than I am. And I've had to deal with the perception of being the young baby-faced guy, which is fine in the grand scheme of things. There are way, way worse perceptions to have to deal with, right? Like, I still have a million different advantages. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a white man in the broadcast industry, right? You have a built-in advantage there. That's just the truth. But, um, but I have always looked like a young person and I often work in fields where I look like and am by far the youngest person. And so in 2019, when I came in, like all these folks didn't need to be as kind or as welcoming to me as they could have. It would have been easy for people to say, well, here's this young kid who doesn't look like he knows what he's talking about. But but all of them to a person, everybody that, that is not coming back, all of them treated me well. All of them made me feel like part of the family right away. And I 
I can't thank them enough for that. I honestly can't. So, so personally, of course, I'm sad to see them go, and, and I'm hoping that I will get to see them around the park or, or anywhere else in the world in the years to come because they really have been good to me, and I can't thank them enough for that. Yeah, Kevin, we learned through The Athletic that since there are going to be no postgame, no pregame anymore, that the broadcasters of that certain game will be kind of doing 15-minute pre-postgames uh, throughout the entire year. What can we, uh, Orioles fans really expect from that? What are we going to be looking for and hearing broadcasters talk about before and after these games? Yeah, uh, depending on if the Orioles win or lose, uh, you'll be seeing me juggle for 15 minutes <laughs> after the game. I'm down for it. It sounds good. Yeah. Uh, maybe playing some carnival games. Palmer and I will, will be trying our hand at the milk crate toss. Um, I, I, I don't know specifics yet. That That is, uh, as far as I know, that's still being worked out. But my juggling services are available. Um, I have been playing a lot of online chess. Over the past few months, so I saw you were involved you know, Palmer, in, a, uh, in a in a chess game. Yeah, if Palmer scandal. or Ben want to play. Like, if the Orioles you know happen to lose twelve one, bad day. I'll just play chess for fifteen minutes. That works for me. So, what was this chess scandal yeah, that, chess, we, that, chess that scandal. we heard about uh, in, revolving around you? <laughs> I don't really know what happened, but I I've been playing on my chess.com app for a few months, and if you play on chess.com anybody out there you know this you can just select the kind of game you want hit play and within a few seconds you've matched up with somebody else somewhere in the world so there are millions of users probably on this app and uh i got a couple of messages recently that one of my opponents had violated the fair play act and so my rating would be refunded because when you win or lose your rating goes up a certain number so apparently uh i played some cheaters there are are people who play games, and apparently they have, and this is what I've been told, I haven't done it, but apparently they have a chess engine open, and so they will mirror the moves that they're playing in the game with you in the chess engine. And the engine will tell you what is the best move to make, and then they will make that move in the game against you. So I guess there is a way for the app to automatically catch this. And so they refund your rating from the losses you had to the cheaters. So apparently I've played two people who've cheated, and my ratings have been refunded. And I want there to be now a, a gritty, dark docuseries into the world of online chess cheating. <laughs> I think we're ready for it. I think the nation needs it after the Queen's Gambit with all the true crime docs on Netflix. I think we go best of both worlds here. The new Tiger King. Like, it's, you know, yes, it's come a new on. thing. Yeah, it's going to be the next big thing on uh, on Netflix. It certainly sounds like you know. I have to say these online games. I used to play Words with Friends with my sister April, and I'm going to throw her under the bus here. She would whoop my butt, and I have I have an associate I have an associ- I have an associate's degree in English. I know my fair share of words, and she would absolutely destroy me with words I've never even heard of. I stopped playing her because I'm convinced that she was cheating. There's just no way that anybody. Any normal human being knows the words that she would play. So I'm convinced that she was cheating. Uh, Kevin, I'm glad to know it wasn't you that was cheating and that you're reaping the benefits of having lost to players that were cheating. So No, I don't know why anybody would cheat against me. I, I, anyway, I'm, 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 I'm not very difficult to beat. I'm not very good. <laughs> yeah, ne- neither am I when it comes to chess. Kevin, I know we ran a little bit longer than we said we would, but always great to talk to you, and hopefully we'll get you on the program soon. 
Yes, you guys too. Have a lovely weekend. All right, you do the same, and we'll talk soon. Have a great day. You do. And that was Kevin Brown from uh, Masson and from the Orioles Radio Network. Nice to hear that he's going to be he's probably gonna be doing about 81 games. He's at half the games. Uh, I'm excited about that. Yeah, That's I'm, awesome. I'm excited about that too, especially, you know, we lost Gary Thorne. And when I say lost, we didn't lose him in the sense that he's no longer with us. We lost him in the sense that he's not going to be calling games for the Orioles. We right. lost Jim Hunter for the same reason. Uh, so it's nice to know that Kevin Brown's going to get more time. Yeah. And I'm really excited to see his back and forth with Jim Palmer. Because if you've ever listened to a Kevin Brown Entertaining. Uh, or- Orioles broadcast, they're entertaining. Yeah. He has me laughing at different points. Again, he brings levity to listening to a bad, uh, listening to somebody call a bad baseball team. It- it's really cool to listen to his broadcast, and he doesn't take himself too seriously, which is always nice. Guys, we got to get our final break of the program, and we're going to come back afterwards and close things out here on the bat around. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Great food and good sports are always at Glory Days Grill. Award-winning burgers, wings, ribs, and sandwiches. There's something for everyone. Dine in or order online at glorydaysgrill.com. And don't forget a growler of your favorite draft beer. Get everything you're hungry for at Glory Days Grill. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A- financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. Get the fresh start you deserve. It's a new year. It's a new you. In the U.S. Army, you will acquire the skills and experiences that will prepare you for a long and successful career. There are more than 150 career fields to help you find the right fit for your future. Become a stronger and more successful individual that you and your family can be proud of. Explore all the ways to serve. To request more information, text AQWP to Go Army or 462-769. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brett the Hitman Hart. Good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Le champion! Chris Jericho. Le champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at pressboxonline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud.
right, everybody. Welcome back to the Battle Round here from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Really, really quality show today. I always, uh, John Mioli, I consider him a friend. I, he comes on the show almost every time I ask him to, um, unless he can't, you know, unless he physically can't do it. He comes on the show. He's always a gracious guest, and a lot. He always has a lot of intel. I think he's one of the. He and Rock are the top two guys that cover this team, uh, that are considered beat writers for the Orioles. It's he and Rock and Baco, and they're neck and neck in my eyes. And then Kevin Brown, always a delight, just a quality human yeah. being. Uh, again, a lot of levity, and again, a guy who doesn't take himself too seriously. Always nice to have him on the program. Stan, as good as always, got a, got a little uh, contentious between Stan and I. Uh, today, talking about the Orioles uh, in 2012 to 2016, when uh, look, he and I remember those years very differently. We remember them as good years for the Orioles, and the Orioles making the playoffs three years out of five, but I listened to sports talk radio every day to and from work when I was doing this, when I was doing stuff around the house, I'd have it on, and there were a lot of people who thought that they was smoke and mirrors. With the Orioles, maybe they didn't use the term "smoke and mirrors," but that was a gist. Luck was a, luck was a good word. Yeah, too. Luck, I, you, you know, know, and they're they're not here because of their talent; they're here because of luck, and that's yeah. that's what we heard a lot of. For you sure. know, and uh, the Orioles' uh, system of winning is flawed because right. it's home run or bust. If they don't hit home runs, they're not going to beat you. That's another big uh, narrative that that was going on for sure. Well, yep, yeah, home the, run or bust. They led the major leagues in home runs four years in a row. Yep. They had the major league leader in home runs four years in a row. They had Chris Davis, Nelson Cruz, Chris Davis, and, and Mark Trumbo. Yep. So, yeah, the Orioles, they, they bashed teams into submission. It's what they did. The pitching was never great. It was just... Right. It, 2014, the pitching was very, very good. Every starter had a, had a sub-4 ERA. Tillman, Chen, uh, Gonzalez. It was a good rotation. All those guys sure. won won anywhere from 12 to 16 games. Yeah. They had a really good rotation, and they had a really good bullpen yep. 2012 to 2017. They, they really did. Um, but the, the pitching other than 2014 was just good enough to not lose. You know, and they reap the benefits of that. It's a shame a World Series didn't come out of that run. Hopefully, this run, once this rebuild comes to fruition, produces one, if not multiple, World Series appearances and hopefully titles. Well, that remains to be seen, uh, which is like the, the, the tagline of the Baltimore Orioles. The Baltimore Orioles, it remains to be seen. That should be their, their 2021 slogan. Um that, that's more like the bat around slogan, I think. Now, just remains to be seen because it, it really is. We say it every show. Yeah, it, it, the bat around it remains to be seen. <laughs> um, Zach, before we get get going here, uh, pitchers and catchers reported on Tuesday. First workout was Wednesday. They're well into their spring training regimen, uh, and the position players are going to be all arriving tomorrow. Pass their physicals. Hopefully, all of them. Hopefully, no hiccups are there. And then the first full squad workout is. Um, I believe it's Monday. It's Monday. Sorry, I, I got a little clumped there for some reason. Uh, and then, actually, a week from tomorrow is the first spring game. What are you looking for the most from this spring training? Um, this is an ex- this is a season that's probably the most exciting that we've had since excuse me since 2018. What are you looking for out of the spring training? Take the rake back next week? No, no, no. I, Not back I, next week. I've decided that I don't think we're going to do take the rake during spring training. I, I think that really. Realistically, any guy that you're going to pick is probably only get two, maybe three at bats. It's true. Um, you could pick a guy who uh, gets one, like Adley Rutschman might get one at bat and hit a home run, and then you win. Take the rake. Yeah. I think take the rake is something that we should. I, I thought about this all week. Honestly, I really did. I thought about it all week. I think take the rake is one of those things that we should hold for the regular season because there's too many moving parts in spring training. But anyway, continue. 
Yeah, so I, I'm expecting that you know more of these prospects keep coming and showing what they're made of. I think spring training you can't always judge performances so highly. You know, Rio Ruiz always has an incredible spring training, yeah. and then his regular season is always pretty subpar. But it is a good chance for Orioles fans to see prospects. Of course, we'll get to see some of them on MLB Network when the other teams broadcast the Orioles games. You can hear them on the radio, and of course, you can see stats. You can see anything. It, it's a good time to have these prospects get exposed to major league pitching, uh, major league hitting. And that's I, I really think that's what I'm looking for. Just keep along the lines of player development and keep working hard at getting these guys closer and closer, especially a guy like Jemai Jones, Michael Ballman, Zach Lowther. These guys are very close. Just kind of help them get the finishing touches on what they need to do and, and get them to the majors. That's what I'm looking for. And, of course, the competition in camp is always going to be fun. Um, you know, to see who wins third base, see who wins four and five position in the rotation. Um, you know, maybe if, if first base and DH is a little bit open. So it's always going to be fun to see the competition in camp. Yeah, yeah, and it's like Buck Walter always said, a lot of fools have been made by spring performances and September performances. Jake Fox. So, Jake yeah. Fox, exactly. Rio Ruiz. and yep. Like, look uh, – I hope Rio Ruiz comes out and hits 250 with 20 homers next year. I do too, and, yeah. And, and plays solid, solid third base. I, I really hope that he does. Do I think he will? No. But I, I think that he, the the talent is there. He's just got, he's just got to realize it. Uh, and whether he does here or someplace else, remains to be seen. It remains um, to be seen. Uh, now, my mom, mother always knows best. My mom sent a text message during her Kevin Brown segment, and she said. I think the best way to deal with the naysayers and trash talkers is to prove them wrong. Actions speak louder than words. Time will tell. Uh, you know, that's kind of what we've been saying. You know, that how, yeah. how do you prove them wrong? You go out there and, and you play and you win. And um, to my mom's credit, she's, she's not wrong. I don't think that this year they're going to prove the naysayers wrong. Uh, big shout out to my mom who... Yeah, you know, she tunes into every show, and if she misses it live, she will catch it. Mine as well. Uh, she will catch it later on Facebook in the archives after, which you all can do as well. Uh, really great mom, really great mom who's supporting me and and watches and listens to every single show that I do, which is awesome. Um, another bit of personal information for me, Zach. Hopefully, we can get you trained up here to be a producer because my fiance just booked us um, flight to Sarasota on March 28th at 9 a.m., so I won't be able to do the show that day because we have tickets for the um, for the Orioles' uh, home game on that Sunday. Actually, the, the flight's March 27th. The game is the 28th. We'll be flying back on the 29th. Uh, so I'm going to spring training for the first time in my entire life, and I'm really excited. I'm excited to see my first live baseball game since June of 2019, yep. maybe September. I can't remember the last game I went to, but it was in the summer of 2019. So, uh, a big shout out to my beautiful, wonderful, soon to be wife, um, Laura Tragaser, for booking our flight, hotel, and tickets. I owe her a little bit of money. Um, but yeah, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully, we can get you uh, trained up here. And uh, oh, ooh, I forgot about the last live read. Guys, I'm so sorry. Uh, sorry to press box. While vaccines are here and there's reason to be encouraged, COVID-19 is still a very real threat. Masks are going, aren't going going away anytime soon. So let's wear masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. Press box is offering three different types of home team masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They're not CDC approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com masks to get yours now. Next week, I will do that read 
earlier in the show. And I'll put it on. Yep. And, and Zach will put it on. We had so much to cover. So it's exciting. It's the first week of spring training. So we're getting a little flustered here talking about everything. I'm sorry that I forgot. Also, what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to, uh, by next week's show, uh, tell you all if the Orioles have any televised games on MLB Network and where you can find them, if you can set your DVRs, if it's a middle-of-the-night game. Uh, so I'm going to try to do that for you all next week. Until then, as always, be safe, stay healthy, wear your masks. See ya!